back to the Out of the Box podcast. Another week, more craziness. This is going to be an insane show. I literally don't think I've ever been more excited about an episode for so many reasons. Gray Robertson alongside Tom Canterbury here in the studio. Tom, we are covering as much as humanly possible in this show. So much has happened uh, since we talked to you last, and you, unless you were listening on the radio, which we do appreciate. And again, I apologize for blowing out your speakers if that's what happened. If you are listening to this at full volume because you are deaf, <laughs> right. sorry. sorry. But at the same time, eh, not really, because it was pretty amazing. As I said multiple times, Tom, you hit the octave, and it was a deserved octave moment. <laughs> you, you went up You went up the ladder. I did. <laughs> it had to be done. <laughs> you, it, it was unstoppable. It's yeah. like a three times a year thing, and man, this is one of those. <laughs> this show is packed. There's so much we're going to discuss. Let's go through our trip around the bases. We'll start at the plate. A recap of what happened this week. A win at UAB. A sweep, Tom. Mm, Bust out the brooms. Yes. In the immortal words of Michael Scott, we made their home a house. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Oh, Jan. We will cover this upcoming week, including a big reunion happening at Rhodes as Georgia comes to Tuscaloosa, but also a lot of stuff happening between that. This, again, is another busy week for not just the team, but also us. Yes. Oh my gosh. Everything going on at one time. Also, we're going to talk about a popularity question, which, you know, kind of spawned in our group chat today based on what the crowd is doing with tickets at Rhodes. My gosh. Bring your wallet. A pretty penny. Yes. (laughs) I got a small business loan. We will advance to first and look at the SEC, which, I mean, look at the SEC, Tom. Absurdity. What is happening? I literally don't know. Yeah. Missouri's 0-5, still very much within striking distance, honestly. It's not a terrible deficit. Yeah. But at the same time, how are they 0-5? Uh, we'll cover that, too. Don't uh, worry. There's so much. We'll also do FGCL Corner with FGCL Player of the Week. A lot of good nominees. Then we will steal second with Madison Shipman. A really fun person to chat with. We will cover a lot of things, including finally getting to ask on the record about what she thinks about her sister yeah. being a part of the Alabama program. We, we've seen her wearing crimson. Yes, we have. Yes. There's video proof. I Instagrammed it. <laughs> we will round third and do RPI updates. We will look at big games coming up this weekend outside of the SEC and a little bit of non-con. Also throughout this, we're going to comment on LSU Arkansas, which is playing Monday Night Softball right now. As we record, Arkansas has blown it open, maybe, with a first-inning grand slam, 5 nothing in the second. Man, probably, but at the same time, we've seen, you know, major deficits being made up all weekend long, all, con- all over the conference. So, yeah. would not be shocked if LSU gets back in this ballgame. No, we will be prepared. Also, yes. a lot at stake that we'll get to in picks. Oh. And maybe the game will be over by then. Who knows? Oh, we'll see. That will be a part of the heading home segment. We will do picks, but before that... We're doing out-of-the-box office because at this point in this country that we live in, in this world, when something happens that stops the internet, (laughs) you have to talk about it no matter what the topic is. It doesn't doesn't happen very often, but when it does, wow, just a screeching halt. And probably one of the the bigger disputes, probably arguments that that 
that the out of the box boys have had. We are on different sides on yes. this, and I have all day been preparing my argument. So, oh, don't think I haven't. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> because usually we're we're preparing these arguments, and then the other one's saying, "I agree." Right. So, That's not going to be the case. Not the time. case here. Okay, no. we've also got picks. We've got off the wall. We've got Tom's hungry. Heading home might be forty five minutes, but you're going to love it. <laughs> Let's start at the plate and talk about the week. You know, if we look at what Alabama did in the series against South Carolina. It starts with Kaylee Tao, a 636 batting average. Jenna Johnson was great as well. But most importantly, I think Kaylee Tao getting back on track. We'd been waiting on it. There were signs. And now finally the dam burst open. Yeah, it really did. It was a, a great performance by her. Uh, you could really just kind of notice and see the confidence that she had just stepping to the plate. And then what she was able to do, um, driving in the runs, getting the base hits on base all weekend long. Of course, had the home run on Friday as well. I think the most important thing overall moving forward for Alabama is that this might provide a little bit more stability in the lineup because we are having to see so far, we've had to see Patrick Murphy kind of move people up and down because of the slumps that, that, you know, and when I say slumps, it's not like they've just been terrible, but you know, some inconsistencies with both Tao and Bailey Dowling, but seeing both of them kind of be more consistent, be, you know, have, better overall weekends they're stringing games together now I think you can more have them more solidified in their spot in the lineup I would also like to put to rest at a rumor apparently Kaylee Tao was not benched for no. the UAB game Patrick Murphy told us in the pregame interview she was out with a medical thing that was something we knew going in we weren't yeah. sure what we could say about it I still don't even really know what it was but it was something that prevented her from playing only that night we reported she would be available on the weekend and she very much was yes very much so and even that, that being said, if she had not played against UAB, that wouldn't necessarily be a, quote, benching. It would have been get some other people in against UAB. Yeah. Like if, if she had not played in a conference game, then you could, okay, maybe say there's something to that. But it was, it was a midweek game against UAB. Let's not read so much into it. If Allie Shipman doesn't play on Wednesday, I, I don't think anybody no. really would have asked any questions. No. Right. Not to get off the wall. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yes. What time is it? Okay. <laughs> Let's talk pitching. What a weekend. I honestly think you know, it was pitching wise. Montana Fouts had two bad innings. Otherwise she was almost flawless in the series. There was, you know, one little hiccup mm -hmm. in game three, but she tied a career high in strikeouts with 16 and Lexi Kilfoyle pitched one of her best games in game two. Again, there was one little hiccup, but yeah. even that could have been much worse. And she got out of it after South Carolina scored two runs in the fourth, had a runner on second with nobody out. And that was it. That was the end of it. Yeah. So I thought both of them pitched really, really well, you know, a couple bad innings for Fouts, but, and I asked coach Murphy about this in one of the pregame interviews that what did she do differently? And he said, didn't really do anything necessarily differently. Didn't change anything. Just had a better mindset after that third inning. Yeah. Her coming out and keeping South Carolina at five runs allowed the offense to figure it out and eventually get the grand slam by KJ Haney. So it was really good to see her kind of return to form after that third inning of game number one and the game number two, game number three that she pitched uh, just absolutely lights out, you know, was dominant the entire, the entire game. But you did mention one thing I want to talk about. We had two capital M moments mm, in yes. Columbia game one. It's looking, it's looking rough. I, I'm I, like, Mentally preparing for how am I going to spin this to it not looking as bad as it felt in venue? Uh, what does this mean going forward? But both you and uh, and Nate, uh, our SID extraordinaire, Nathan Sheehan, 
uh, both said I sounded as frustrated as I've sounded in a long time in the early innings. And I probably agree. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, there, there was a lot of eye rolling on the GoPro from both of us. Yeah. A lot of me looking at James disapprovingly. The pin throwing was happening. Just so much going on. It was rough. And then a hero emerges from the dugout by the name of KJ Haney. Bases loaded, two outs. Alabama goes on this great run in the sixth inning with two outs and one on. Find a way to load the bases. Patrick Murphy calls on a pinch hitter, which, by the way, she comes on after one of the at-bats of the year by Aubrey Barnhart to draw a walk and get on first. But K.J. Haney sees a pitch on the inside corner. It's a called strike. Bailey Bettenbaugh brings it a little more over the plate, and Haney gets her hands around and hits a magical grand slam to give Alabama the lead. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. The question was... Was this an Alabama home game when that happened? Because the crowd, so loud. Oh my God. It's one of the loudest roars I've heard. And some of it was from the team in the dugout. Alabama had a lot of support there. Either the people that traveled or, or locals that were Alabama fans came out. Uh, it was a great atmosphere all weekend long with that. Just to, to see that, to see how excited everybody else was for KJ. And then, like you said, it was her third career hit. Third career hit. She's had three hits. A mammoth home run against Alabama State, which, as you said, was memeable. Yes. Like it, was, it was just amazing, just right away center field. Uh, an infield double in the Gale Force wins in Youngsville, Louisiana, and a go-ahead grand slam in an SEC game uh, against South Carolina. Just, just amazing. It was incredible. I was speechless. My favorite part about it, too, if you go back and watch the highlight, I'm not sure if you can see it, but Jayla Torrance sprints from the bullpen to come be a part of the party at yes. home plate, which is like not quote unquote legal, but right. nobody cared. No, no one cared. This, this is why that rule about celebrating home runs is stupid and why you should celebrate moments like this, because I don't know if KJ Haney's ever going to have another chance to do something like that in her career. Because I hope so. it's well, but I'm saying yeah. like, it's hard to be in that exact situation. Sure. Right. And the fact that she came through, that was a celebration worthy moment. And rules be darned, Alabama celebrated. Right. This is, we're, we're tasking the umpires with, with officiating <laughs> celebrations and making sure players don't talk during reviews. It's like, this is really what we're talking about. How about we call strikes? Are they Let's bouncers? That. Is that what's happening? Come on. You cannot get into the club. Right. Oh, I don't have my wristband on anymore oh, for the field access. <laughs> right. Yes. <sighs> okay. The other one, mm-hmm. Allie Shipman and inside the park home run. And again, I want to make sure that we give a lot of credit to the South Carolina center fielder, Aaliyah White, because it was honestly one of the most incredible efforts to try and make a catch yeah. I've ever seen, but Allie Shipman hit it in the right spot. And then when White couldn't make the catch and it ricocheted so far away, she was hightailing it to home. Yes. And, and, you know, we've talked with coach Murphy. He said that, you know, Allie Shipman is, is borderline green light. You know, she's yeah. not flashing yellow. She's got the She's, she's got the flashing green, not yeah. the full-on green. You know, she doesn't have normal catcher speed. She's a little bit quicker than that. But that being said, she's not one that you would think is going to hit a great, an inside-the-park home run. If you had gone to Vegas and put a parlay down yes. on a K.J. Haney Grand Slam and an Ali Shipman inside-the-park home run, you would be a billionaire. Yes, <laughs> going home independently wealthy. I mean, the odds of both of those happening in one weekend, let alone in a year, right. is amazing. A K.J. Haney Grand Slam. And then an alley shipment inside the park homer. Not on what you thought was going to happen that day, that's for sure. Mm. Anything else you want to touch on from the series? It was a great job by Alabama just taking care of business. You know, when you're looking at it, 
if you're Alabama and you are wanting to have a good shot at winning this conference title, which you definitely do after being three and three through the first six games, it was almost a must sweep to go to Carolina and get that. And that's tough to do. It's tough to sweep anybody in this conference, especially on the road. Uh, but I thought it was a really good performance all the way around and a real mature weekend by this team. Yeah, I was impressed by the way they answered after how game one went, because we've seen a couple times over the years where Alabama is a big game, something crazy, a miraculous play happens, and they kind of come out flat the next day. Yeah. Didn't happen in games two or three, and that, to me, was very impressive. Yeah, games two and three, for the most part, were very – the heart rate didn't get, get very high at all. You, you were very confident and, and comfortable the entire uh, two games, which is, again, that's really tough to do uh, no matter where that team is in the standings when you're on the road in this conference. So let's look forward to a hectic week. Tuesday, which is tomorrow as we record, Alabama State and Tuscaloosa. Wednesday, we hope, Jacksonville State in Albertville at the Sand Mountain Showdown. There is some potential weather, but it doesn't sound like it will affect the game. It sounds like it might affect the trip back, which, you know, great. Wonderful. And yeah. then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you've got Georgia coming to town for the 10-year anniversary of the national championship. Caleb Rowe talked about it last week. A bunch of people are coming back in town. The ticket prices for this weekend, Tom, are for softball, astronomical. Oh, my gosh. Like, I've seen SubHub uh, ticket prices north of $250 per ticket to be in the grandstand. I am grateful for credentials. Yeah, like $100 to be in the brickyard. It's nuts. If you're coming, you better be loud. <laughs> right. I hope I hope if you're paying that kind of money, you're, you're loud. Yes. And if you have tickets, come to the game. Yes, please. I don't want to see one empty seat. Uh, not one. Right. If you've bought tickets, come to the game or give those tickets away if you're not coming. Yeah. Now, that being said, Tom, I posed a question in our group chat today, and we can discuss it a little bit here. Is this the most popular a team has been at Alabama in the regular season in program history? Because if you look at a lot of the factors here, ticket sales, we've talked about the sellouts for weeks. Yeah. The buzz, there is a lot of buzz nationally about Alabama softball. And the performances, you know, for the most part, the team has backed it up this yeah. year. There have been a couple hiccup games, but other than that, they have looked like a true top five team. I'm amazed at the support that Team 26 is piling in. I would say that it is the most popular during the regular season. Obviously, you know, national championship year, that postseason run it is the peak. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to meet, match that. I would say the combination of the popularity of the sport in general has has just skyrocketed and you know Alabama being one of the most popular teams uh is is benefiting from that as well and also I think you can probably say it right now Montana Fouts is the most popular player Alabama's ever had I agree yeah. that is based on Jackie Traina won the Bama U bracket and yes, very much is deserving of her status on Mount Rushmore uh I'm just saying because of the popularity of this team of the sport of Alabama in general and then you know you're able to take more advantage of your opportunities you have the NIL now every game on TV that's another reason why I said this year definitely during the regular season more popular than in 2012 because so many more there's so many more chances to watch the team yes so I, and that's something that this team has taken advantage of yeah, I think it goes hand in hand with, like you just said, the popularity of the sport. It's not just Alabama that's probably the most popular they've ever been. I would throw Oklahoma in there. There are a bunch of SEC teams who right yeah. now have as much of a spotlight shining on them as they have had in their entire program history. 
Yeah, when when Oklahoma traveled to Kentucky last week, we commented on how many people wearing Oklahoma stuff in there. And I don't think that was people that necessarily traveled from Oklahoma. I think that was Oklahoma fans that happened to live within shouting distance of Lexington and were able to get tickets. Otherwise, it was a huge charter plane. Right, yes. And I think that you saw some of that in South Carolina this weekend with Alabama fans. Uh, Not all those Alabama fans traveled from Tuscaloosa. It was people that are Alabama softball fans that that was the best chance they had to get to, to see the tide this year was to go to Columbia. I agree. We're on. Wow. Look, we're agreeing yes. right now. <laughs> Put the fireworks away. <laughs> All right. Lineup changes coming into this weekend. There, there actually is something I feel like we can discuss here, and that is the leadoff problem, which is weird. But if you look at the stats, when Jenna Johnson has let off this year, she's hitting 320, which is good. But down in the five spot, Jenna Johnson is hitting 500. In the six spot, she's hitting 529. And in the seven spot, 571. So the success in the middle part of the order, much greater than at the top. Right. Dallas Goodnight's hitting 289 in the top of the order. That's okay. You know, right. You'd love it to be higher, obviously, for a slapper. Yeah. But you compare that to even the two spot, she's hitting 469. And the nine spot, she's hitting 455. We've talked about this on the air, and now we have the stats to back it up. Both Dallas Goodnight and Jenna Johnson are having good years, but they can't seem to find the consistency at the top of the order as much as they provide elsewhere in the lineup. And so now with a couple midweeks this week against Alabama State and Jacksonville State, I, for one, would like to see somebody else get a shot up there. And I think, for me, that person is Ashley Prangy. Yeah, uh, not your post-typical leadoff hitter. No, but she's not. Yeah. Um, she is hitting well when leading off innings, I will say that, which is, I think it's 6-11. And so we only know one inning for sure that she would be leading off on. But true. either right. way, what do you think? It's an interesting question because you don't really have a prototypical leadoff if it's not Jenna Johnson or Dallas Goodnight. Ultimately, you want it to be Goodnight. Right. But if she is performing that much better in either the two or the nine, you you kind of, I think you have to look at putting them, putting her there and then finding somebody else to lead off. You could go Prangy, I, I think would be an interesting choice. I mean, you can go with Kaylee Tao. She's done it before. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing even Allie Shipman lead off. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. Pull, pull an old, we discussed that once upon a time with Bailey Hemphill. Right. And, you know, just because, like you said, there's only the one time she's guaranteed to lead off. That's the first inning. If you're putting her to where she's going to have an opportunity to knock in some runs, if the bottom of the order is getting on base, I think that's a, that's a legitimate option. I don't think there's anybody that you don't lead off with. I think anybody could. Right. Lead off. That's kind of part of the problem. Right. It's like all the other options I can rationalize everybody. Yeah. I just don't know how to make that choice, but that's the beauty of, you know, no offense to these teams of playing Alabama state and Jacksonville state, you know, whatever you say about the opponent, simply put, these games don't matter as much as the weekend games, mm-hmm. unless you lose them. But right. this is a chance to try something. And I would like to see a couple things shifted around for these midweek games. The only, the player that's probably the more prototypical leadoff hitter would be Cat Grill. Right. Which is an interesting, because when I put together the lineup, I threw out Cat Grill in the two spot yeah. with Prangy leading off because Cat Grill is so strong at executing. If you want to have her bunt or literally try anything, she strikes out a little bit too much to be in the top half of the order for me. You know, you can work that out too. I mean, there, there are a lot of options yeah. and I'm not sure any of them are wrong. Right. Like even a Savannah Water would, I think, fit in there. Unfortunately, she's just struggling right now. Right. So I'm, I'm not sure. It's a, it's a good question. Yeah. Beca- and you know what? Maybe Jenna Johnson and Dallas Goodnight's stats get better if they lead off. 
I just know that this is something we've noticed in games and that we've talked about a lot. And once you see it one time, it's something you notice twice, you know, maybe it's a thing. Three times it becomes a trend. Yeah. This weekend, Dallas Goodnight was leading off in the Kentucky series, didn't perform all that well. It's kind of becoming a trend now and maybe something that needs to be addressed. But obviously, we both still feel comfortable with both of them there. Yeah. There just seem to be better spots in the order where they succeed more. You don't want to waste a opportunity to have somebody being really, really productive in the five or six hole where Jen Johnson could be, or even, you know, good night in the two hole or in the nine, just because, well, we got to put one of them in, in the lead off. No, you don't. You can put, you can put anybody in the lead off. <laughs> Anyone. Yeah. All of them are eligible. That's right. <laughs> uh, okay. Pitching rotation. You, you, I, I think, think we're we going to see Torrance Salter in the midweek. I think there's a chance that we see Montana Fouts come out and throw one inning against Jacksonville state just to give all the Sam mountain showdown people right. something to lose their minds about, especially since it's a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you're right. coming up on. Yeah. Uh, I could, I could see that for sure. Um, and it was interesting that in game number three against South Carolina, Patrick Murphy said it was going to be a split game. No, I think we'll, we'll stick with what we got. She's doing great. Right. So um, you're doing amazing, sweetie. Keep yes. So that, I mean, that's always a chance for game number three. I, I think that's kind of your your thought process is Montana in game one, Lexi game two, Montana starts game three, and Lexi's available. Sound, sounds like a plan. There we go. Yep. And check on the rundown. <laughs> it's so easy coaching, yes. my goodness. Come on. Just kidding. Yes. Okay, Tom, it's time to advance to first. Who are we? We have put it in play. Yes. Make a call. Well, we talked about it so much. Kaylee Tao had a great weekend. I, we're driving in runs. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. It's not just one RBI a day. It's like four now. Right. We're just rolling. Yeah. We're Kaylee Tao, and we've put it in play. When we come back, we will advance to first and discuss whatever the heck is going on in the SEC. This might be a short segment because, honestly, I really don't know how to explain it, but we'll do our best when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. alongside each other tracking Monday night softball as Arkansas continues to lead LSU five, nothing hogs and tigers, both trying to get the series, Tom. And we'll talk about it more in a bit, but this series has been nuts. And the result of this will mean that after tonight, there will be a mathematical five way tie at the top of the sec standings with five teams at a six, six, seven, Winning percentage. This this is why we don't bracketology until April. Greg. That's right. This is yeah. Two weeks. Two weeks is when bracketology will start. Bro. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's it has been a crazy start to the to the season. Looking at what the schedule was, not what we were expecting. We thought there was going to be at least one, if not a couple, teams that was going to be in that nine and oh, eight and one type uh, vicinity, but. No one's running away and hiding, so it's going to be a a race right to the end. Actually, everyone is coming together and throwing punches. I mean, usually we'll see, like, one or two teams tied, one team ahead. Like, it's never been this clumped. I mean, I kind of joked about it earlier, but Missouri at 0-5 in the conference isn't even remotely close to out of it yet. No. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, they're only, you know, couple games back at 0 and 5. I mean, you get a sweep and then all of a sudden boom, you're right back in it. You're right there. Unfortunately, you just got swept. No, that's so, true. Right. Don't worry, Tom, that will come up. This the, again, the the rule is nobody can sweep but Alabama. It's true. If if, if everybody else was just 2 and 1, Alabama's in good shape. I sent out the contracts, but Okay, good. I'm well, sure that'll get signed quickly. Oh, yes. 
We're going to start with the most shocking news of the weekend. And no, it's not what you think. That's coming later. It was the return of Ashley Rogers at Tennessee. We were all of the mindset that she was not going to pitch at all in the Florida series. And then lo and behold, I pull up the stats for game two against Florida and Ashley Rogers is starting, you know, goes three innings, doesn't give up a hit, strikes out five. She was on a pitch count, but the fact that she threw it all and threw so well to me makes Tennessee a very dangerous team. Yeah. It wasn't just that she was able to pitch, but that she pitched like Ashley Rogers pitches. Like she hadn't missed a beat. Right. Yeah. Against a really good lineup in Florida. So despite whether they're struggling or not, that's a, you know, one of the best lineups in the country. So um, really good performance by her. And it does kind of make you look a little bit differently at what Tennessee has. I'm very curious in the lady balls and we'll talk more about them later. I'm also interested in what this means for Florida because we talked about them having a game two problem. Now they might just have an offense problem. You know, they lose the first two games. They only scored two runs combined. They do win game three by scoring four runs and they all came pretty late. Tennessee led that for most of the first half of the game. We look at the averages. Skylar Wallace is still hitting 439. Kendra Falby's hitting a really good 429, but not good in context of her hitting like 527 a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte Eccles is at 293, which is stunning. Yeah, that's been the biggest surprise is that, you know, Eccles has not been to the level that she normally is. She still has 33 RBIs. Again, she's making the hits count. Right. You're just not getting uh, getting them, all, you know, in big clumps like she normally does. It Maybe it's a, a spot in the lineup situation. I'm sure Tim Walton doing like what Patrick Murphy's been doing is moving some people around as much as he can, trying to figure out who's going to be most comfortable where and what's going to work out, uh, you know, when you, when you have the matchup wise. But yeah, it, it has been a very surprising thing to see Florida not score runs. It wasn't what I thought would be the issue. No. I, I knew they had a good, not great, but a good and deep pitching staff, but I thought that might be what gets them. I didn't expect for them to be shut out now three times in conference play. It's very surprising to see line scores where Florida has zero runs and like three hits. Yeah. Not, not what you're used to seeing from the Gators. Yeah. Shall we move on to a series that shined a light on a lot of things? And of course I'm talking about Auburn, Kentucky, Renee Abernathy. Hello. A grand slam to end game one in run rule fashion. She walks off game three, a game that Auburn honestly had firmly in hand. Yeah. The Wildcats, you know, get a hold of an Auburn team that we had questions about. Auburn couldn't quite close the deal on the road. Now I just feel like these are two pretty solid teams that probably aren't going to win the conference, but are going to be trouble all year long. It's two very annoying teams to play. Yes. Abernathy was uh, unstoppable this week, and I would be surprised if she is not the SEC player of the week uh, with what she was able to do. We saw the questions of pitching for Kentucky, uh, not 100% answered as per usual. No. Uh, but the offense, as long as you get a good enough pitching performance by sometimes two or three different pitchers for Kentucky, that offense is going to win them a lot of games. I agree. Yeah. Now I will do one customary. Who's pitching? <laughs> Pitched and is pitching. Yeah, but honestly, I really don't have anything to add. I think we kind of at this point know what Kentucky is. Right. They've got a lot of people they can throw at you. Sometimes they'll work, sometimes it won't. You know, these pitchers are run hot and cold like by the week. So it's just one of those things. Yeah. On the Auburn side, Shelby Lowe really struggled in game one. She pitched really great in game three, but got into a little trouble. Mickey Dean went to Maddie Penta, and then she did not 
close the game well in no. game three to say the least she went with the rise mm. she shouldn't have <laughs> that'll be it for the ball game <laughs> but also i want to point out something in the box score two errors in game one for auburn three in game two five in game three and we recall errors were a big issue in the south carolina series as well right now the auburn defense is a liability yeah right and especially we saw an injury to denver bryant as well yeah if that's a long-term situation and if they're not able to play clean softball, they're not going to be able to pull off near as many of these big wins uh, moving forward as they got earlier on in the year. Auburn has at least two errors in six of their nine conference games. Mm. That is not the recipe folks. No. And I'm kind of amazed the record's as good as it is in conference play. Absolutely. Luckily some of the other teams they've been playing have also been kicking it around a little bit. True. Okay. Are you ready? It's time. Mm. Ole Miss sweeps Missouri. What is happening? Ole Miss was like, get right for the fighting Larissa's. Heck nah, <laughs> we're going to get right. Too much rat poison. Baffling. I, I don't understand. It's baffling. Missouri as a team is hitting 294, which is fine, but for an overall batting average on, on the year, that's that's not as good as I would like it to be. In conference mm-hmm. play, Missouri's hitting 205. That Ooh. is bad. Yeah, that's not good. I don't understand. Honestly. And Ole Miss, I still think they're not that great. You know, Bree Roper had a great weekend. The pitching was pretty impressive statistically, but at this point I'm more siding with Missouri just wasn't good on offense. Not that Ole Miss is pitching did anything special, which again, as we said, was not the, not what we expected to be the issue for Missouri. Right. Missouri was what they were supposed to have the offense and then the pitching going to have to figure it out and can just try to keep them in the games. I don't know. It's crazy. I mean, we watched a good bit of was that game two right that was on tv or game one i can't remember they all run together but it was just it was weird i kept i kept waiting for missouri to do something and they would eventually in most of these games do something in like the seventh but they were already down five one at that point and it's too late then yeah it's a something about starting off the game ready to go that they're having issues with yeah very strange georgia wins two out of three in insane fashion against Texas A&M. Like, you could not find three more different scores. Game one, Georgia wins 3-1. You know, pretty run-of-the-mill. Mm-hmm. Perfect, good performance. Game two, A&M's up 7-1. We're like, oh, here we rubber match coming up. <laughs> Georgia comes back and wins 8-7-8. Eight, eight. Just stupidity. But then game three, A&M wins 16-8 in six. Right. And AM had jumped out, I think, to a six-nothing lead. Yes. And then Georgia came back and got within one. It was or maybe tied. I remember it was eight to six when I when right. we left the stadium in Columbia. And I was like, oh wow, this is getting interesting. And then all of a sudden it was 12 to six. Right. Like, and Wait, then, what? Right. And then AM puts up a snowman, and that that's it's a run roll all of a sudden. Like, do we learn anything besides it's gonna be hard to put Georgia away? But I, you know, I think at the same time going to be kind of hard to put A&M away too because that's a lot of runs put up in a series. Yeah, both those teams are teams that are going to have to win slugfest like that for the most part. You know, they're going to get I think both teams will get at least one really good start, possibly two for A&M if Herzog has two good games, but I think outside of that, they're going to try to win games 8 to 6. And that's the type of overall teams that they have just because of, there's just a little bit of a lack of quality depth behind and Georgia's one of those teams where we don't even know who the ace is for the most part. We're trying to figure trying it to out. Figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Herzog did not pitch all that great in game three. Mm-hmm. Her ERA has shot up 
to 0.76, which doesn't seem that high, but it's like huge considering she went to the weekend at 0.12 or something. Right. Yeah. So, you know, things to keep an eye on as we take a look at LSU Arkansas. The Tigers have indeed answered with a triple, a home run, and a home run. Wow. <laughs> That'll break up the no-hitter. <laughs> yes, indeed. 5-3 Arkansas on the top of the fourth. This is just par for the course, Tom. Right. A series that has been bonkers. We were watching the uh, game one of the series. Yeah. We were watching it at a restaurant in uh, Columbia. You missed three home runs for LSU in the bathroom. That's right. I did. This is not news to those that, that know me. But, yeah, so we go to the bathroom, and while I'd be in there, I'd, like, look at my phone, you know, how you go. And, yeah. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And then there was another time where I was walking out and I look and another home run had been hit <laughs> like the most unbelievable thing. And also, by the way, two home runs hit now while we're not watching. Right. Exactly. A very confounding series. I will say one thing that sticks out. Mary half had to be used in both games, game one and game two. And we're seeing right now, Bloom got the start and Dels is coming on in relief. It seems like Courtney Dyfel is trying her absolute best to not have to bring in half, but the other arms are just not working. And Mary half isn't pitching as well as she was last year either. Right. And I mean, Bloom had, like I said, Bloom had a no hitter through three. Yeah. And in this fourth inning gives up a triple and two homers. Even when you do get some good, they're able to string a few innings together. When the wheels come off, the wheels really come off. Yeah, but bottom line, I think these are two offenses that are going to be dynamic. LSU still can't really figure them out, but they are performing pretty well in this series, which is what I expected. That's why I had them winning this series 2-1. You had Arkansas 2-1, so this does have some mm-hmm. weight for yes. later on in the show. Very important. I don't think either of these teams are winning the SEC, but yeah. they're going to be they're going to be difficult NCAA tournament teams because of how they win games. Yeah. Like I said, I haven't, I haven't watched every game LSU has played, but the ones I did watch Georgia Clark has been just out of this world and all of them. 44 RBI and 28 hits. What is that? Ridiculous. 11 home runs already. I mean, it's, they have the pieces, you know, with Clark Pleasance and Briggs as, as your two, three, four. That's why the, some of the losses for LSU earlier in the year, especially, have just been so puzzling. Still waiting to find out the answers. Yeah. And we'll find out how this one goes. Thomas, time for the FGCL corner. Okay. FGCL player of the week. We've got seven nominees. We're back to normal. And boy, oh boy, Tom, are there some doozies. <laughs> are you prepared? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Your nominees are Melissa Mayu, Louisiana, five for six. Oh, this is just the start. Four mm-hmm. RBI, two home runs, two walks, and five runs scored. That is a good batting average. That is. Paige Rao, a unicorn, as they say, hitter and pitcher. 13 innings in the circle, eight hits, three runs, one earned, zero walks, and 12 strikeouts. At the plate, a very respectable five for 14, five RBI, two homers, a walk, two strikeouts, and four runs scored. Jocelyn Alonzo, East Carolina, six for 11, Eight RBI, a home run, a triple, a double, a walk, and four runs scored. Michaela Edenfield, Florida State. Oh, Tom. Sorry. My gosh. Sorry. It's, 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 a, it's a reaction. Oh, that's what happens when you wrong Alabama. <laughs> but she's still really good. Yes. Six yes. for seven on the weekend. My gosh. With 10 RBI, three home runs, a double, three walks, and five runs scored. How did they lose to Boston College? I have no idea. It's the most perplexing thing in the world. Allie Harrell, Marshall, three for five, three RBI, home run, a double, six walks in just three games played all weekend, a strikeout and five runs scored. Naya Morgan, Florida A&M, 
Six for 11, five RBI, a home run, couple doubles, two runs scored. And finally, Kate Houston, Appalachian State. 10 for 16 with nine RBI, four home runs. Remember that. Three doubles, three walks, a strikeout, and six runs scored. Three of those home runs of the four she had all week came in her first three at-bats in game one against Louisiana Monroe. Oh, Molly, no! Don't pitch to her the third time. Oh, no. (sighs) This is quite the list, Tom. So give me your two finalists. We'll go with Michaela Edenfield and Kate Houston. I'm going to spread the love a little bit because Edenfield's already won. This is like an insane week. Right. And literally it would take something special to beat what Michaela Edenfield put up. Like maybe hitting a home run in three straight at-bats. <laughs> right, exactly. So our FGCL Player of the Week is Kate Houston. Wow, good job. Good job, Kate. Go Mountaineers. Yes. Or not Pioneers. Not to be confused. No. <laughs> and those are very different things. They, yes, they are. Okay, so for the first seven weeks, we've had seven different winners. This is this is new. This is new. And I feel like we've also had a pretty healthy roundtable of nominees as well. Yeah. And that's not just me trying to switch it up. What I look at is quality of statistics and also game impact. Like last week, everybody had done something in their game that was critical. This week, not really, but you had a bunch of great stats. And there were other people who were great that I had to keep off. Devin Flaherty hit 600, and she was like the first one I cut. Wow. Well, Mm. and also kind of shows that playing in the FGCL is helpful. Oh, yes. Mm. Advertisement. (laughs) Come join Gray and Tom for a summer in Florida. Jenna Lord will be there. Alex Storacco, others. Yes. I don't have it in front of me. Tom, we've got the sign. It's time to steal second. The green light guys are going to chat with a new member of the family. An auxiliary member of Bama U. Yeah, that's right. We have given her a backstage pass. (laughs) Come on in whenever she wants. That's right. The bouncer will not keep you out, Madison Shipman. She's next on the Out of the Box podcast. We'll steal second when we return. podcast it's time to steal second with one of our friends gray robertson and tom canterbury here chatting with the former lady ball the espn analyst she is in her home studio right now part of the seven innings podcast the all-american one of our favorites and now a part of the family madison shipman is here (laughs) thank you guys so much for having me i think i need to have you do my introduction everywhere i go so i'm just gonna have your voice in that introduction follow me every single time i enter a room (laughs) I'm cool with that. And you know what? We are so excited that we got to see you at Rhodes a couple weeks ago, sporting some new attire for you, a a former Tennessee player. I I don't know if we've actually gotten the chance to outright ask you publicly, but what are your thoughts on Allie, your sister, being a part of Alabama now? Well, I'm just the number one important thing for me at the end of the day, softball player or not, she is my sister and I will support her 100% whatever she wants to do in life. It doesn't matter if it's beyond school, in school, anything. She has my outright support and she knew that from the very beginning and it was not an easy decision for her, um, but she got our entire family support, my support. And that's why you saw me representing the school that she currently plays at when I went to watch her play. It was actually a surprise visit 
Uh, she had no idea that I was coming down and I wanted to make sure that I could come and watch her in person before my travel schedule got too busy calling games this year. Uh, so Coach Patrick Murphy knew about it. Basically, the entire team knew about it except for Allie. And so when I got there, uh, Coach uh, Murph saw me and he was like, hey, has she seen you yet? And I said, no, she hasn't seen me yet. So he hustled on down and then he yelled at her in the bullpen to come over to him like she had gotten in trouble. And so I could see the look on her face, like her eyes got all wide going, oh my goodness, what have I done wrong? And he calls her over and then he points to the stands and he's, she sees me. And so she just drops all her, her gear and comes running over. And we had a big old hug and it was so special to be able to be there in person to support her wearing crimson. Although I never thought I would wear those colors in my entire life, but I am just so happy that she is happy. She is having the absolute best time playing this season. And, uh, and yeah, so you guys have now picture proof that I wore crimson at one time in my life. <laughs> it's like, it's like the reverse Sandra Bullock when orange wasn't in her color scheme, uh, crimson wasn't in her, in Maddie's until <laughs> Allie right. came to Tuscaloosa. Yes, I will say. So my husband is born and raised in Tennessee and he says that he will only wear Alabama softball specific shirts because he still bleeds orange on the inside, especially when it comes to football. So he has to wear an Alabama softball shirt specifically, which of course my sister got him a general Alabama shirt instead of an Alabama softball shirt, just to throw another jab at him. We can let it slide. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. That's yeah. understandable. <laughs> well, the question I have though, uh, Maddie, when you were a player, did you ever have an inside the park home run? Because Allie got one this past weekend. I don't even think I had a triple. So there was no way that I had an inside the park home run and I was prepping for games. So I didn't see it live, but I actually got texted by Kelly Kretschmann. She texted me and she was laughing. She said, Oh my gosh, this is so funny. Your sister needs an oxygen tank right now. And I'm going, what the heck just happened? So of course I immediately flip over and see her running around the bases and coming all the way, sliding in the home and the look of like shock when she came up from her slide, I think was my favorite part. But uh, yeah, I got to talk to her about it. And she said she just had a smile on her face. As soon as she turned second and saw that Murph was sending her all the way home, she said immediately I smiled and I knew what was about to happen. But uh, she was winded. I think that was the longest uh, and fastest she's ever had to run around the bases. <laughs> I can say uh, for sure, and there is video evidence that Tom and I had the same smiles on our faces as she was around. Like, oh my gosh, this is happening. This is happening. <laughs> She was thinking the exact same thing, but there were a couple of times last weekend that you guys had some big smiles on your faces. KJ Haney's pinch hit grand slam. I love the reaction of you guys up in the booth too. I, I, I've gotten numerous messages of people saying that I blew out their speakers uh, and, and I'm kind of sorry, but I'm not because that, that was the most amazing thing. One of the most amazing things I've ever seen. That's what every hitter dreams of right there. The opportunity to come up, bases loaded, pinch hit situation. Your team needs you. And man, that inside pitch, she just turned on it. And I, it was absolutely incredible. You you cannot make bats like that up. She just totally embraced the moment and went up there and executed her job. And I think that's one of the fun, most fun parts about that at bat was watching the team's reaction. Of course, they're excited that she just, you know, hit a home run to score a bunch of runs, but the support that they have for one another to be able to succeed in those moments, I think is something that Alabama's culture embraces and you can really see it show out when she hit that ball out of the park. Okay, Maddie, I want to talk to you about the thing that broke the internet 
this weekend. It shocked everybody. Of course, I am talking about Ashley Rogers starting on Saturday against Florida. A complete surprise. All of us thought probably next weekend was the best bet. I mean, she was apparently just throwing bullpens a couple days ago and gets to start in game two of a conference series. What does not only her return, but her apparent return to form mean for Tennessee going forward? It's huge for them. And, and I think, again, the biggest question for them coming into this season was who's going to be that number two to step up behind Rodgers. And I think they found that number two in Aaron Edmondson. And I can't say enough great things about what she was able to do to pick up the amount of innings while Ashley Rodgers was down with that injury. But now I think having Rodgers back into that pitching staff, Rodgers and Edmondson complement each other so well as far as what pitches they throw, what types of pitches they throw. I think it's going to make it really difficult for opponents to prepare well for both rise ball pitching and lefty drop ball pitching. And I think that Aaron Edmondson went out there and threw really well against Florida this weekend. And just to see Ashley Rodgers go out and have the presence that she did in the circle for just a short amount of time, it looked like she was on a pitch count. Um, but she was dominant in just that short performance. So, you know, it probably gives her so much confidence being able to go back out there, feel good, perform well. And, you know, the rest of the team sitting back, especially with as hot as their bats are right now, seeing Ashley Rogers go out and strike out a bunch of Florida batters going, oh, yeah, we're going to be dangerous down the stretch. Uh, on the other side of that series, what uh, what's wrong with Florida? <laughs> Florida, I, you know, it's interesting because I, I think that Tim Walton hit on it in one of the mid-game interviews this past weekend. He, he said that, you know, some of their, their big hitters need to step up and be those big hitters. And I think when I look at, statistically speaking, SEC-only stats, when you look at somebody like a Hannah Adams, Charlotte Eccles, Kendra Falby, those are the batters that are batting towards the bottom of those stats. And I think those are the three hitters that really need to step up. Uh, somebody who has stepped up for them, I think, is Cheyenne Lindsay. And we've known her historically to be that person that that comes in off the bench, that breaks up the no-hitter for throwing for the other team. Like, she has been able to be that hitter that stepped up for them in clutch moments. I think she's doing it much more consistently, of course, being in the lineup all the time. But to me, it's those three batters, Falby, Eccles, and Adams, that really need to step up and try to get more consistent, productive at-bats for them to be successful. Now, kind of sticking with Florida, we also saw their pitching struggle a little bit this weekend. They didn't give up a lot early in games, but we saw Tennessee make adjustments later on against Hightower and, and Lugo and really the whole staff. What needs to happen there? Because to me, it looks like Elizabeth Hightower just isn't quite as effective as she was last year. Yeah, I believe that she was somebody that was battling injuries towards the beginning of the season as well. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what those injuries are, but I think for her and really the rest of that staff, it's embracing the fact that they are not necessarily those dominant strikeout pitchers. They are more your pitch to contact pitchers, try to get people to miss hit, induce ground balls. And one thing that we've seen year in and year out from Florida is that they play solid defense. And I think that that's the type of mentality that they need to embrace, allow their pitchers to roll ground balls get outs and then try to figure out ways to manufacture runs on the offensive side of the ball whether it be hitting runs laying down bunts putting people in motion try to figure out a way to get those runs across when you're not getting the consistent home run power at, like you are out of a, a team like a Tennessee or a Georgia where you know you're going to see at least one ball leave the yard every single game but just try to do something else small ball to see if you can manufacture runs that way hey you mentioned Georgia they had a crazy series with Texas A&M where it was very difficult for anyone to get anybody out. What, what did you make of that, of that series? 
It's it's defense, really, on both sides of the ball. Uh, you look at game one of that series. Georgia got all three of their runs. They were unearned runs. Mackenzie Herzog had gotten two outs in the inning, and it was a dropped pop fly by the shortstop Coco Woolley for Texas A&M, who I'm just going to say right here has a ton of potential, so much athleticism. She's going to be great in her career, but she's just a freshman, so she's still learning. But Georgia capitalized. The very next batter comes up is Sarah Mosley. She drives a double into the gap. The next batter after that is Lacey Fincher. She hits a two-run bomb, and the three runs that Georgia got in that game was all that they needed when Madison Kerpix threw as well as she did against the Aggies. But when I look at that series, it just comes down to being able to play catch. And when you look at the game of softball, I think sometimes we try to overcomplicate it, but at the end of the day, when you get the ball to you, throw it to your teammate, hit him in the chest, good things are going to happen. I'm a big, big supporter of strong defense. Defense wins championships. I think as a whole, uh, when even when it gets to the scoring of some of these games, I think we need to raise our standard of what should be an error and what should be a hit. But ultimately, I think what it comes down to with those two teams is being able to play clean defense behind some, some good pitching performances that they've gotten in the circle this season. The error versus hit argument is another topic mm. that I feel like we've oh, discussed yeah. a lot. And Don't I wish <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I, I just, I, I'm convinced that if you were to even ask a lot of these players, if it should be a hit or an error, I would say majority of the time, they're going to tell you that, you know, whatever ball that they missed was an error. Um, but, uh, but I guess I have a unrealistically high standard for defense and <laughs> I guess we'll just leave it at that. Well, the, you know, the definition of a normal effort for the, yeah. uh, or the ordinary effort for hair, hits and errors is yes. changing daily, yes. Yes. Depending, yes. depending on the person who's doing the story. It's a very fluid definition, apparently. 100%. Yes. Right. But I did want to bring up something that you saw on Wednesday, because you were on the call for Georgia Clemson, and Tom was on the radio call, I was on the TV call for last weekend, or what, whatever day it is, when Alabama played Kentucky, and we've seen now the discussion of the safety base come up multiple times in the last eight, nine days. Sydney Chambly, I believe, is out. I think it said four to five weeks, but it could be, I don't know, I couldn't really glean much off of her Twitter post. But, I mean, now this is a topic that really needs to be seriously discussed in softball, and I'm curious where you stand on, A, if it should happen, and B, why it hasn't. You know, honestly, up until this point, I've kind of been uh, a, a little indifferent on it. I mean, I, I've kind of been on the stance of, yeah, sure, put it in there, go for it or leave it out. You know, um, I haven't been really pro either side. Um, but having called that play, uh, Georgia Clemson, where you're talking Sydney Chambly was playing first base, I do think that that was a play that would have made a difference had there been a safety bag there. Because of where she caught the ball in relation to the batter, the batter wasn't doing anything wrong. They were running in in their lane um, and she just caught the ball at that weird angle and it just hit at the right time to where she ended up getting injured unfortunately on that play so I do think the safety bag would have made a difference there um, kind of going back to my point of a simple game of playing catch I think a lot of times these collisions could be avoided with uh, better throws over to short and now or over to first excuse me now granted I know that's not going to happen every single time um, but the more and more we're seeing those types of plays I'm thinking yeah okay put a safety bag over there just to see if it will help uh, you know some of those collisions because nobody wants to see anybody get injured we don't want to see that nobody wants to have that happen to them um, so I think we're getting to the point where we're seeing so many of those plays that 
we might as well make a change, try to do something different to prevent some of those types of plays. And really unfortunate for, for Sydney this year and, and several others that have had some of those plays happen that might have been prevented had there been a safety bag there. So to sum up, I've kind of been indifferent on it, but I think we're to the point where we need to try to do something different to limit those collisions. Yeah, because we saw the one with uh, Goodnight and Ebbs in the Kentucky-Alabama uh, yes, series. Yes, thankfully uh, everybody turned out okay right. after that one too. Amazingly, honestly, yeah, it could it could have yes. been really it could have been really bad, and that collision probably still happens uh, somewhat if there is a safety bag, but it's probably not as dire of a collision uh, as yeah. as it would have been uh, with just the one bag. And you know, the the only argument I have that I can possibly have against it would be the, just the aesthetics of it, but it's literally in every other level of, of softball, including the Olympics. I don't right. know why, why college the only is thing that I can that I can kind of think of that it might change a little bit is it might take for for lefty slappers, it might take them a little bit longer to get down the baseline because they're going to have to completely change the direction in which they're running to get on the opposite side of the foul line. So I think that's going to be the if we want to call it the biggest impact as far as gameplay is I think it's going to take them slightly longer to get down the base path. But I think ultimately if it's going to prevent some of those crazy collisions down at first base, I think collectively everybody would say uh, to agree to go ahead and put it over there. Kentucky took on Auburn this past weekend and that was another crazy series. And we saw Kentucky with uh, Renee Abernathy had two game ending homers, one for a run rule and one uh, to win the ball game. Uh, what did we learn from both those teams in that series? Well, you know, Kentucky is a very veteran-led team, and I think that they're a team, again, their pitching staff, they're not pitchers that are going to strike out a ton of batters. They pitch to contact. They force their defense to play. But that that lineup is, is very talented, very experienced, and you guys know, having called all the Alabama games, they're, they're the team, I think, that has faced Alabama the most over the course of, what, the past four years? Um, yes. And it just seems like they always line up and hit, hit well against Alabama. Alabama. And I think a lot of that has to do with the veteran experience that they have in their lineup, along with the young talent. Uh, Aaron Koffel, again, is somebody that I enjoy watching play short. I enjoy watching her approach to her at bats. I think she's a strong player um, and they're coached well by coach Lawson. So I think they're always a team that's going to be dangerous down the stretch. Uh, when you look at Auburn, to me, they're one of the, the biggest surprises coming into this season and not just for the sheer home run numbers that they've been able to put up this year compared to last year, but just the way they play. And watching how much energy, how much fun they're having in the dugout, to me, it looks like a completely different Auburn team than we've even seen out of Auburn over the course of the last decade. Um, and to me, they make me smile when I'm watching them play. And that's how you can tell they're having a good time. And that good frame of mind, that good mindset, that positive mindset, I think you see that paying off for them uh, when it comes to wins and losses so far this season. Does how that series played out give you any pause about the Auburn pitching? Because I know that Shelby Lowe is 100%. Uh, Maddie Penta, though, came in and was the one that gave up the walk-off in game three. Coming into the year, we thought that the Auburn pitching was the strength. It's still really good, but it was interesting to see an offense like Kentucky really pretty much hammer them most of the series. Yeah, I think the, the injuries are definitely something that Auburn's having to work around and when you're you're Maddie Penton, you go from somebody who was really their number two last year behind Shelby to now being 
forced to be the number one. Um, I think it's, it's one, a mentality shift. Um, two, just the sheer number of endings that she's had to throw. And three, she's kind of reinvented herself as a pitcher. Uh, primarily last season, when you look at her, everything had upspin. This year, she's really working that drop ball, that off-speed pitch to kind of give a different look. So, and I also kind of look at the time of the season too. Uh, you just got off of the preseason schedule, which is an absolute grind when it comes to traveling, when it comes to trying to balance school, just the sheer number of games that you're playing. And then you get thrown straight into SEC play where we all know it just means more in the SEC. So I think what it comes down to is them being able to balance, giving her the rest that she needs and also trying to get Shelby low ready. So ultimately I'm not super worried about their pitching staff. I think that they have enough experience to be able to figure it out, but it is is something that they are going to have to figure out if they want to make it deep into postseason. I'm really glad you snuck that in. The it just means I did. more. Yeah, you like how I did that. <laughs> Very good. Madison Chipman joining us here as we steal second on the out of the box podcast. She, she had the shrug and the head tilt and everything. The whole thing. Yeah. It's like a commercial. <laughs> Maddie, I, I feel like I should be letting Tom ask this question, but I'm next on the rundown. Tom's number two in his preseason poll in the SEC was Missouri. And we went into this past weekend saying, you know what, this series against Ole Miss, it's a get right chance for Missouri. It was actually a get right chance for Ole Miss. And Missouri is winless in conference play. What's going wrong? You know, it, so I had to double check looking at those box scores because honestly, the first two games had such similar box scores. I thought that I pulled the same one up twice, but I actually didn't because the scores were were the same. And, and in both of them, it came down to one big inning for Ole Miss where they were able to capitalize. And so ultimately, when I look at statistically, when I look at Missouri, it's walks, it's errors, it's wild pitches and these other teams being able to capitalize on that. And I, they still get the home run. They still get big hits, but they're getting solo shots. Where these other teams, when they hit the long ball off of their pitching, it's a three-run shot. It's a two-run shot. The solo home runs isn't what's going to hurt you, ultimately. Everybody's going to hit the ball. Yes, we know that. But when you start putting on free passes, when you start making errors, and then you give up the home run, that's what's going to hurt you. And I think that's what you're seeing out of Missouri. And they still, again, the, the bats that they have in their lineup, veteran bats. They have been around the league a long time. So, yes, I'm right there with you. I totally thought that they would be performing at a higher level than what we're seeing them. Um, but they had a tough stretch, too. You look at their home tournament, they had to deal with delays. I believe the the combination of a doubleheader day that they played ended up going seven and a half hours and then the lights turned off on the stadium so it was the craziest uh circumstance of events that happened in that home tournament and again turning around right to sec play uh, are they a team that i can think can turn it around absolutely but are they going to have to make major changes uh as far as being able to execute the routine fundamental plays definitely Around the entire conference in the circle this season, uh, between injuries to aces and some aces that are getting knocked around a little bit more than we were expecting, um, it's become a pretty wide open race for who's going to end up being the pitcher of the year in this conference. Right now, who do you think is the best pitcher in the SEC? Oh, man, I knew you were going to ask me that question. And <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at everything and it's just... Uh, I, I think the number twos on everybody's staff is going to become so important. Um, and I know you guys are going to like my answer to this one when I say it, 
I think Lexi Kilfoyle is a dark horse in our league. I think she is somebody that is not talked about enough. I know that you guys talk about her quite a bit, but I think she is somebody that has such great stuff, such great movement. Um, so she is somebody that I want to keep my eyes on because you're exactly right. When I look at all the at the true aces of all of these stabs, they've had a rough go at it to, to start it off the hitters. I mean, I like it showing off for the hitters, doing their homework, being able to execute. Uh, but I think that Lexi Kilfoyle has that unique combination of movement and velocity that makes her so tough to hit. And maybe selfishly, I'm thinking, who would I not want to hit against in the league? And it would be Lexi hmm. Kilfoyle. And she, you know, back in the dog days of the offseason, I would do random tasks. And one of the things I did was rank all of the returning pitchers in the conference. And I was looking at that list the other day and everybody's struggling. I mean, Montana's had some off days. Mary half is having to pitch literally every conference game and is giving up home runs. You know, Elizabeth Hightower, we talked about her earlier. Ashley Rogers has been hurt. Like, can we abstain maybe from giving an SEC pitcher of the year award this year? <laughs> It'll be so interesting to see how everything plays out because I think that we're also getting to a point, not just in the SEC, but in the sport where you're seeing stabs throw more equal innings. You don't just have one pitcher that's throwing, you know, 250 innings and then everybody else is sprinkled throughout. I think that these teams are utilizing their entire pitching staff. So more often than not, when I go to scout these teams, there's a lot of pitchers, maybe three, four pitchers that have a similar amount of innings on these stabs just because they're trying to throw different looks at these hitters constantly or if you're kentucky seven nine yeah who knows <laughs> let's just say my pitching chart when i go to call games has become uh, substantially longer over the course of the past couple of years all right we we saw six pitchers for south carolina this past weekend one of whom only had two-thirds of an inning entering the weekend and hey she, you gotta change it up throw them all right. out there see what, yes. see what a different look can do you never About, know well, you mentioned with Kentucky um, playing Alabama so much. I truly believe the strategy for the for the Wildcats against Alabama a couple weekends ago was pitch the players who haven't played Alabama, and that's I mean, and that's what we saw for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's crazy to me because I think it was have they played each other fifteen times now over the course of the past few years? Is it 12, 15 well, times that Kentucky and yes. Alabama have faced off against each other? Take Something over. Crazy. Yeah. I was going to say it's regular season, postseason, you name it. Kentucky, Alabama is always matching up against each other. Yeah. So <laughs> SEC tournament, we can bet a Kentucky, yes. Alabama first or second round matchup and Alabama, Florida, probably in the championship. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Maddie, before uh, we let you go, we want to step out of the SEC for just a bit because Tom and I, when we call all these games, we'll pull up all the stat broadcasts and track everything. And slowly I started to gain more and more interest in a game in Norman on Sunday because it was scoreless for a while. Baylor took a lead and yes, Oklahoma, you know, did their thing and walked it off. But Dariana Orm, the pitcher for Baylor, literally did not allow a hit from the first of the seventh inning. Probably one of the most impressive pitching performances of the year by anybody, let alone a losing team. What is the main takeaway from that game where Oklahoma really struggled to score? I, I think, honestly, it just shows you that Oklahoma's human. I think when they come out and they hit the way that they do at such a consistent clip, everybody looks at them as these superheroes. And now, granted, what they've been able to accomplish, it is superhero numbers, so I don't disagree with them. But I think at the end of the day, they're, they're still human. And I had my eyes on that game as well, and I believe I saw a stat that the last time that Oklahoma, it took Oklahoma that long to score was actually going up against Utah when they were out at the Mary Nutter in Palm Springs, and that ended up being 
a phenomenal game. Uh, Utah played fantastic, uh, but ultimately, again, Oklahoma ended up coming out on top. But they're just such a team that you look at the the, the pitching, the hitting, the the defense. They they can truly do it all, and they have star power one through nine in their offense and the way that they approach their at bats, how they're so selfishly selective at what they hunt. Um, I think that pitchers can sometimes get intimidated before they even step into the box just because of the, the stats that they're able to put up. But we did see that they are human and every once in a while it can take them a whole seven innings to score, <laughs> but they did figure it out. I believe it was T.R.A. Jennings with the, the walk-off home run. Of course, another one of the, the several stars that are on that squad. <laughs> well, you're just gonna have to score more than your one you're gonna have to yeah. you gotta put up a bunch of runs you need to be up goals. six nothing going into the bottom of the seventh don't mess around <laughs> with the one yes exactly exactly one run is not enough going up against oklahoma yeah. taking a look at west real quick in the pac-12 one team that has been very surprising in their struggles so far this year has been arizona they are now 0-6 in the conference. They've only scored two runs in conference play. And next up, they got to play Washington and then an Oregon State team uh, that we saw in the first weekend when they played Alabama and were, was pretty impressed by. Um, it, it's a struggle in Caitlin Lowe's first year. Yeah, I think everybody across the country is just as equally surprised as, as we all are when you look at Arizona. Um, I, the, the stats, I believe that they've been outscored by about 40 runs in their first six Pac-12 games, which is absolutely insane. Uh, and, and, and to me, I, I wish I had an answer as, as far as why that's happening. And I'm, I'm sure that Arizona wishes they had an answer as far as why that's happening as well. Um, but yeah, they're, they're definitely a team that I think should be performing better and they probably expect themselves to be performing better. Uh, when I watch uh, somebody like a Washington, they, they started off the, the season really hot. They got those two wins against Arkansas down in Puerto Vallarta and then kind of cooled off a little bit, but they played really well against UCLA th this past weekend. They almost took, took a couple of those games, but ultimately it came down to UCLA's pitching that, that won the best of that one. Um, and, and speaking of Oregon State, Mariah Mazon, I think, is somebody who is uh, not talked about enough. Um, and uh, I like the way that she performed going up against Alabama earlier in the season. And I think she's been able to continue kind of uh, the confidence that maybe she gained in that game uh, going through the rest of the stretch. But yeah, Pac-12 play, it's wild everywhere. It's wild in the SEC. It's wild out West. Um, but yeah, that Arizona program definitely needs to make some major changes if they're going to turn their season around. That's how we like it. Everything's yes. crazy. What will happen in the ACC? Who know? Oklahoma State could challenge Oklahoma in the Big 12 if they keep mowing through teams. I mean, hey, Miranda all... Ellis had herself a weekend, eight for eight on the weekend. That doesn't happen too too often. So she's finally starting to find her groove up at the plate. Yeah, it's that's why the sport is so fun, mm. right? I mean, this is why we love it. Madison Shipman joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Maddie, where are you going to be this weekend? What, what's got your eye? Where are you broadcasting? <laughs> I am broadcasting from, from home. So I am going to be in Knoxville, uh, but I am actually calling Auburn, Florida and Tennessee, Mississippi State. So got a couple of SEC matchups going on this weekend that I'll have my eyes on. Wow. Double dip. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's very busy. Uh, thank you so much for hopping on with us. It's always good to see you. And we certainly hope to see you back at Rhodes very, very soon because we love seeing one shipment. We would really enjoy seeing two. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys having me on today. So that was Madison Shipman, Tom, a very thorough interview. I am eternally grateful for all the little nuggets that Maddie dropped and also Love hearing the stories about Allie and picking Alabama and what that means to her family. Absolutely. It was a great insight there. And interesting to know that she thinks she never even had a triple, much less an inside the park home run. 
I feel like that's not right. Surely it's Surely point. she had a triple. Come on. This is Madison Shipman. <laughs> Pull up the stats. I will, you know what? I will save that for when we have her back. Okay. And we will look it up and we'll spring a surprise <laughs> on her. <laughs> sounds, sounds good. <laughs> okay. That's us stealing second. It's time to round third. And we get back an RPI update. The SEC kind of in a weird position. We'll talk about that when we return here on the Out of Box Podcast. Back to the Out of the Box podcast. We're rounding third. Patrick Murphy giving us the green light, even though we are not green light people. No. And saying, you can do it. Score. <laughs> Come on. If the left fielder has the ball before we get to third, I'm just going to stop. I agree. I will say, no, Murph, thank you. No. <laughs> that will go over very well. <laughs> the, the opposite of running through a sign. <laughs> it's time to round third and discuss the RPI as we usually do. Tom, I'm looking at the SEC rankings. It's kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. Alabama number two. And then you got to go down a bit to Tennessee at 10, Florida at 13, and Kentucky at 16. I can't remember the last time we were at this point in the year and there were so few SEC teams at top 16 in the RPI. Yeah, it's very it's very odd. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, is because, as uh, Tara Henry said, it's the Hunger Games right now in the SEC. Everyone's right. kind of eating, eating each other. And hopefully it'll even out and maybe some of these other conferences will start uh, getting some wins and knocking some people down and, and the SEC can kind of climb, climb their way back up. But yeah, if you're looking at it RPI wise right now, there would only be four hosts in, in regional play in the conference. That just doesn't seem right. No, typically you're challenging for four supers hosts. Exactly. Uh, and I think, I think the SEC will get there because of the way this, the conference schedule has started. It's crazy. And then the other thing that jumps out at me is that no one's lower than 31st. Right. So everyone's going to make it at this point, barring finishing below 500. Right. Which is interesting because I'm not sure if South Carolina is a tournament team. I'm in agreement with you. They're, what, 18 and 13 right now. And if you look at the schedule going forward, you've got a Clemson midweek. I mean, honestly, you got to rack up the midweek wins. And there are a couple that are winnable, you know, Furman doubleheader. You got NC State, who's okay on the weekend, Winthrop. But you play Clemson twice. And right now, I think Clemson would beat South Carolina at least once. Yeah. And then the conference series at Missouri, at LSU, Ole Miss at home, at Arkansas, and Kentucky at home. Mm. You're only five games above 500 right now. South Carolina's going to have to steal a few if they want to be a tournament quality team record wise and playing wise, like you said, I'm not sure they're there right now. Right. Yeah. So that I would be surprised uh, seeing what I saw this past weekend, because as we said, during the broadcast, you could see why South Carolina was struggling, right? They have talent, but they kick the ball around a little bit too much. The little things they're not executing in addition to, I'm not sure what Bev Smith's pitching plan is. No idea. It was one of the most baffling decisions I can think of in recent memory, pulling Leah Powell in game two. Now, also, you know, she pitched pretty well, but Alabama got to her in game three. But the way that game two was going and the flow of it, I was very shocked she made a pitching change when she did. Right. And and, and that's not a, you know, just looking at this weekend, it's kind of a, a historical thing with Beth Smith. So right. I'm, I'm not 100% sure as, as they play right now, 
if they're going to be able to one, get enough wins to be over 500, or even if they're able to do that, I guess if they're able to stay above 500, most likely their RPI will stay high enough, uh, but they're not a two or three that I would be worried about if they were coming to, to my regional. I'm in agreement. And if they don't stay above 500, but do, you know, pick up a win or two here and there against some good SEC teams, you could have the highest RPI team maybe ever to miss the tournament. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's true. I don't have the math on that, but I have to assume, you know, if South Carolina finished like 32, that would be pretty close to being in that realm. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. If we look at the top 20, anything catch your eye? Alabama number two, obviously. For me, little old Charlotte still hanging around at 20. Yeah. They're sticking around. Good job, Niners. Yeah. And I mean, if they go on a run and like maybe not lose a game in April, or something like that. I think that they could possibly get themselves back up to where, you know, if, if they might get the benefit of the doubt in a season like this to where if they're in the RPI around, you know, 18 or 19, still getting that number 16 or 15 host. Right. Or being an extremely difficult to see. Yeah. I want no part of that. No, avoid. <laughs> Another thing that pops up Northwestern at nine, this is a team playing really well and they have, they have a lot of fight. They just don't quit. They've got Michigan this weekend. So if they can find a way to sweep that series and Michigan is not playing well right now, Northwestern has a schedule after that, that isn't super daunting. There are chances for bad losses, but Mm. there are a lot of winnable games on that list. Northwestern is putting themselves in a really good position to maybe be a top eight seed. Yeah. So we're not even talking about just being a regional host because the committee always looks for an opportunity to put a regional in the North. Right. You know, in Yankee territory. North, Midwest. That, yes. You know, that little, you put the line at Michigan and go down. Right. You're hoping to get one in there. And maybe that's where Notre Dame or those type of teams would go to. But we're talking about them not only hosting regionals, possibly hosting super regionals, which is something that hasn't happened in a long time. Uh, yeah. The two in the top 10 that really jump out to me is that Northwestern at nine and Duke at number seven. Mm. Just two teams that you're not used to seeing there right now. I would also say Texas at 11. What a turnaround. Yeah. (laughs) They were not close to 11 like two weeks ago. No. And now here we are. Also, Arizona State at 15. Now, I'm not sure sweeping Arizona is as difficult as maybe we thought it was like two weeks ago, but it's a rivalry series where you only gave up two runs and you concluded with a perfect game in run rule fashion. Arizona State is maybe playing some of the best softball of anybody in the country right now. They're just going to have to keep that up when they play UCLA or Washington. Yes. That's always the thing with Arizona State is that they have these type of weekends, but they're not able to get over the hump against the truly elite teams in the Pac-12. Right. If they're able to do that, and you don't have to sweep them, but, you know, maybe win a series or, you know. At least not get swept. Don't get swept, win one, and then, you know, not have two run rules in the other two games and show that you can play with those teams. I, I think that's, especially this being the last year before they have a conference tournament, that's the type of statement you're going to have to make in the regular season. Let's move on to Alabama opponents and go to Arizona. Really? 35 in the RPI. This is one of those where if you did like the blind resumes that they sometimes do in, in the selection shows, that type of thing. When you take the name of Arizona away from teams, I'm not sure they're, I'm not sure they're a tournament team. I mean, again, with the bracketology I do, I see the top 16. I don't do the full thing. I let Eric Lopez take care of that. <laughs> but This is an Arizona team that is going to be in some danger if they don't pick up some wins in the series against Oregon and this weekend against Washington because they're 0-9 against the RPI top 25, and they haven't played a game yet against the 26-55 to range. But, 
I mean, there are a lot of chances to get those wins because the Pac-12 overall is better this year. Right. But that also means all of those teams can beat you. And if Arizona is not careful, they might miss the tournament this year unless they fix some things. Yeah, and especially when you look at how they performed in the games against non-conference teams that are highly ranked as well. You know, you got to be run-ruled by Oklahoma, Alabama run-ruled them as well, uh, and Kentucky beat them out in Arizona. And that was on the road for the Wildcats of Arizona, of Kentucky. Really, they're both Wildcats. But, you know, that was – I see why that got confused right, very I did. quickly. Go yeah, ahead. And I apologize for that. But, you know, to not have a single win in the top 25, including the non-conference losses as well, they just don't have any quality wins that you're going to look at and say, okay, they're – yeah, they're struggling, but they have shown the capability of, win, of beating good teams. They haven't done that at all this year. Yeah, now that's not saying they can't because there are some injuries. The pitching staff has been kind of weird with Bowen trying to go, but just not being what she was last year. Mionio has been out for a couple weeks, and when she comes back, that'll definitely be a boost. Mm -hmm. But right now, all facets are just not working, and that is surprising for Arizona. Very much so. Anything else on this list catch your eye? Virginia Tech bumped down to three, Alabama and Oklahoma passing them this week. We know Florida State's going to be up there. Oregon State, I think, barring collapse, is probably going to be a tournament team and that's going to continue to be a really good win for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I would assume that after this little swoon they've gone on, I think Louisiana is going to kind of right the ship a little bit and hopefully they'll get some wins because you get a couple wins over the Raging Cajuns, you expect them to be, you know, give you more than the number 46. Right. So you certainly hope they will improve as the season goes along. I think Miami, Ohio has a chance to improve and continue. They've got some big wins, including beating Michigan uh, this past week. So maybe they can give you some more help from 68 moving up there. Finally, RPI-wise, we go to the Oh No Lobo, 138 in the RPI now. Yeah. And I was tracking, they got swept by Utah State. Just, it's not working for the Lobos, which is unfortunate because I still think that's a decent team right. that's just losing right now for whatever reason. Yeah, we, you know, go back a few, a few podcasts ago when we were talking about how good and scrappy that New Mexico team was. They have not. They're not helping out right now. They're scratching and clawing mm. at nothing, apparently. Yes. They're going toward that quad four if, if that was a thing in softball. I mean, now Northwestern State is a better win than New Mexico, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Big week seven games. Tuesday, we got Ohio State at Kentucky. This is actually bigger than you would think. Ohio State is a pretty good team. You know, they're on the fringe of a D1 softball top 25. They're probably going to be pretty high on the receiving votes, if not ranked in the ESPN polls and other polls. This is not a bad Ohio State team, so Kentucky cannot take them lightly. Yeah, yeah and you can't kind of rest on what you were able to do this past weekend and, and continue to look at what you do in the SEC because when you do play these midweeks, if they are against high-quality teams, uh, those wins can be very big. Wichita State's at Oklahoma on Tuesday. I don't really foresee any issues for the Sooners. No, Wichita State not quite at the level they were last year. Yeah. Busy Wednesday, Louisiana at Texas. Twice AM will face Houston on the road. UCF goes to Florida, which is interesting. UCF is dominating teams right now. They just swept USF. Florida's struggling a little bit. The last game they played was insane. Yeah. And then South Carolina at Clemson. So a packed Wednesday, Tom. And we'll be tracking it all from the Sand Mountain Showdown. We, we certainly will. It's- Alabama playing an in-state rival as well with Jacksonville State. Uh, But yeah, I would not be shocked at all if UCF is able to get that win in Gainesville. I'm with you. What a a busy weekend Mm, it will be as well. Tom, I'm not going to read through everything, but let's pick a series. You pick one, I'll pick one that really jumps out at you. Also, I'd like to point out UAB at Oklahoma. That's not, neither of us are going to pick that, but 
UAB. Wow. Just g- good luck. No wonder Oklahoma needed wanted Kentucky to play extra games <laughs> to try to boost that non-conference schedule. Probably that Oregon UCLA series, just because, uh, like uh, Maddie said. Even though it was a sweep, Washington was right there with UCLA for pretty much all three of those games. Will Oregon be able to do the same? I'll go with Washington at Arizona. Is Arizona about to get swept again? Washington, as Maddie said, did play well against UCLA. You know, it's probably the best fight I've seen from a team that got swept in a very long time. (laughs) Right. Also, remember, you know, we've seen weird things in this rivalry, and typically they are sweeps. Yeah. So... What happens with Washington and Arizona if the Wildcats don't have things fixed? I I think that this is not quite do or die, but Arizona at 0-9 in conference play would be pretty devastating. Yeah, they need to get at least one. Uh, And also a quick note, as I mentioned earlier, Florida State has found ways to lose games. Virginia is playing better than usual this season. If the Cavaliers can get one from the Seminoles, one, I know Virginia Tech will be very happy about it. And then two, it just continues to get the question of why is a team like Florida state who has the ability to win the national championship? Why are they continuing to play down to level their level their competition? Yeah. Virginia is not a team right now that I would say even as a tournament team, if you look at the resume, they have loaded up in the non-con on teams they should beat. They really haven't beaten any teams in the high RPI, but they are coming off of a sweep Tom over Boston college this past weekend. Yeah. So I, I, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. And we do have some FGCLers on that Virginia team. So who knows? Who knows? Mm. Those are the big week seven games. And that is us rounding third. Tom, it is time to head home. Oh, so much to cover. (laughs) We've got picks. We've got off the wall. Probably a little shorter. We might just defer to Mark Hempill. We could just read his. his That's right. That's our official statement. Tom's hungry. (laughs) Yes. Like an epic. It was a great weekend for Tom. It was. Somewhat surprising. It was really good. Coaches, you're killing it this year. We've got our first edition of Out of the Box Office as well. There is, like, I can't even express how packed this Heading Home segment is. So let's just get to it. It could be a podcast unto itself. Maybe it will be if it goes too long. (laughs) That's next on the Out of the Box Podcast. the out of the box podcast we are not going to beat around the bush with this heading home segment because there, like i was just looking at it in the rundown there is so much that we have to cover so much happening so much happening so what we've done thus far you've probably already heard it but if you want to look it up read the show notes (laughs) that is usually released yes along with everything else yes i may i edit it four times to make sure all of the spelling is right and everything is clear so you know what is in each segment wow it's time to head home we will start with a special edition of Out of the Box Office because Tom, the internet done broke yeah, it did. with with what I think no matter what you think of the situation can be agreed upon as one of the strangest things ever to happen on live television, maybe ever, but certainly yeah. in the era of Twitter. Absolutely, 100%. I did not foresee one of the greatest actors in the world coming up onto the stage and slapping... One of the funniest comics in the world. Did you not expect that text from me last night? No. Uh, I was a what? <laughs> Guys, look, <laughs> that was it. I was working on FGCL tracker and then I looked up and I was like, oh. And right. then I was like raptured about the whole. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Nuts. Out of the box office is a summer series that we're very excited about. We're going to have a lot of great guests on Caleb Bro, Patrick Murphy. 
a lot of our favorite softball friends to talk about movies and we're going to just, you know, we're not going to even going to go over movie news. That'll be just something where we talk about movies that we love and drop some favorite quotes and characters and stuff like that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Can't wait for it. But coincidentally, (laughs) it is a movie podcast when the biggest story right now in the country happened at a movie award show. Right. The Oscars. So this is a special preview of out of the box office. And we're going to talk about the Oscars. And before we dive into Slapgate, the the whole situation, as a movie fan, and I know that there are some movie fans who are tuning in because I have actually gotten some DMs from people saying, y'all need to talk about this. Okay. The show itself, as a movie lover, the Academy Awards were last night. And as somebody who is like the target audience for it, I thought it was really bad. It was very unfortunately bad because why do people who love movies watch the Oscars so that the movies that they admire and respect and think are really good and maybe don't love like Power of the Dog, but think like, oh, it was really well made that those are honored. But what the Academy did was pander to all of the regulars, <laughs> quote unquote, the casual fans by having Megan the Stallion in to perform We Don't Talk About Bruno. <laughs> did we know it was gonna be Megan the Stallion? No, okay. they're like, this is a moment you won't wanna miss. And they do the beginning of the song, which, you know, you've heard and everybody, yeah, everyone, sure. honestly, if you're a living, breathing person, you've heard what we don't talk about Bruno. And it's like, okay, this is a little weird, you know, a little strange camera work. And then it cuts to the horns and it cuts to Megan the Stallion, who performs a rap written about the Oscars. And then the rest of the song is remixed to discuss the award show and skips oh. the entire good part of the song. Wow. And as somebody who was watching it, because I appreciate all these movies and I, I was really excited about <laughs> We Don't Talk About Bruno to not hear most of We Don't Talk About Bruno. It was like, eh, wow. all right, that's that's the route we're going. That that sounds disappointing. I was sitting there and I looked at my cousin and I was like, I missed Megan the Stallion in Encanto. <laughs> I did not know her part. Maybe no. she was Abuela. Wow. It was very strange. Either way, that was very sad. There was just like a lot of stuff that was like, really, you know, it, it just overshadowed what was a good night because Coda is the kind of movie that I think everybody would like. It's it's just a good old fashioned family movie that does kind of focus on a family not many of us interact with, you know, mostly a deaf family. Troy Kotzer's winning for supporting actor was incredible. You know, it's a good speech when the interpreter starts crying reading it <laughs> as Troy Kotzer's signing it. So either way, I was very disappointed in the Oscars. And that doesn't even factor in the moment when all heck broke loose, right? a sit up on the couch and text your friends moment, Will Smith and Chris Rock. Yes. Here, if you aren't familiar, what the heck? How, right, Where? <laughs> what rock are you in? Nick? If you're listening to this here? podcast, you can go watch the video. Chris Rock comes out to announce best documentary, which, you know, we assumed it was going to be Summer of Soul, people who track all the stuff. And he's cracking jokes, cracks a good joke about Javier Bardem and uh, Penelope Cruz. It was okay. Cracks like a mediocre joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, which, you know, is saying excited for G.I. Jane too, because Jada Pinkett Smith has alopecia or haircut, very small. That's probably not the right adjective to describe a haircut. Very close to the head. Yeah. And Will Smith took exception to this. He didn't take exception to it until he looked over and saw that Jada wasn't laughing. <laughs> Which, as a married man, I feel like you you sure. understand. Yes, I do understand that. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, oh. <laughs> terrible. Yes. <laughs> what was the joke he told before 
wins this. Oh, award. that was it, it was okay. uh, Javier and so Penelope Cruz. They're married, Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. Okay, they were both nominated in the Best Actor Best Actress category. So the joke was Javier Bardem is in a difficult position because he can't oh, win because because she didn't it, win. Right. Okay. Got so it. got it. Okay. Yes. That's not a bad joke. Yeah. I you know, okay. that was I, that was okay. fine. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know. Now the Jada joke is I think it is over the line because it is a medical condition. Yes. Now she's not dying of cancer. Right. She. I mean, she alopecia. I'm not. It's a it's a disease that you know. So, uh, but I can understand probably why he thought it wasn't stepping over the line because it's just you know it's losing her hair but same time probably not something we should be joking about right so will smith goes up and if you're watching the american version you see and hear a very loud thwack mm -hmm. and then there is silence as you see chris rock say something and then a pan to will and then there's like a weird pause and a reverse and then a cut to will smith who is yelling something and then it goes back to Chris Rock and there's another weird pause and a mute. And then he says, wow, okay. And you're like, wait, what happened? And then the leaks from Australian TV and Japanese TV, who apparently don't care no. about censorship at all. Did not get the memo. They, uh, they broadcast the whole thing. And so this is obviously the biggest story. As you mentioned earlier, you got mm -hmm. one of the top 10 most bankable movie stars, male or female in the entire world versus one of the most famous comics in a just frankly very strange scenario yeah. at one of the most watched entertainment television events that you can have i mean you've got well it is but it's also been hemorrhaging viewers well right but i would say decade. that you know i mean if you put them all together the oscars are still beating still, the Emmys right. and the golden sure. globes and everything yeah. else the golden globes basically don't even exist anymore yeah. Ricky Gervais killed <laughs> as also bribes, right? But well, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't bribe Italy in Paris. So now we discuss everything that happened. Tom, you were on one side of this and I'm on the other side of this. Yes. Would you like to present your thoughts sure. first or do you like me to? I'll, I'll go for Okay, it. go ahead. I am, I am on team. This was staged. Okay. This was a, what we call, if you're a wrestling fan, this is what is called a work. It's something where people are it's going to be an incident but everyone but people are in on it now not everybody's in on it like something like lupita nyong'o definitely not no, in on no, anything <laughs> no this for this to work literally you only need the two people involved probably jada and one producer and and, and that producer if that producer is able to tell the security you know stand down you know if that maybe four people if you need the security person to be involved but you can do all that and you know we, we can pull this off is it more of a MTV Music Awards type incident than a, a standard Oscar incident? Yeah, probably. I'm not saying it was a well thought out plan to boost ratings and generate buzz, but I think that's what it was. And the reason I say is because this is, again, from somebody who's watched wrestling for, for his entire life, you look at the logistics of what happened. All right, so he tells, he tells the joke, over the line joke. Again, Will laughing and then notice Jada's not laughing. Okay, now I'm going to get up there and do something. So he goes up there. No one gets up to stop him. There's no security or anybody. But you think it's Will Smith. He's certainly not going to go up there and, and slap Chris Rock. So, okay, you know, he goes up there. Chris Rock, he has his hands behind his back. Again, just looking at this logistically. He has his hands behind his back, and he kind of pokes his head out. He kind of pokes his, his head forward. And so, like, are, are you thinking he's going to come up and kiss you? Like, what, what, what are, why are you poking the head out? You're poking the head out so that your cheek is there so he can get, he can get the slap. 
if Will Smith had punched or pushed, I'd say, okay, this is probably legitimate. But he open hand slapped, which is what you're what you're doing and what you can do if you're in theater, if you're in stage combat, that type of thing. You slap, you make the big noise, it doesn't hurt as much. As long as your mouth is open, you're not going to get concussed by it. It's going to be okay. So safety bam. base. Right, safety base, bam. <laughs> so, you know, and this is a guy, Will Smith literally is getting an award for being the best actor in the world. He has played Muhammad Ali on, in movies. He's a, he's a big, he's an athletic guy. I'm sure he's had some sort of training. He's going to be able to do this if, if that's what the decision is to make. And then he doesn't stand over him or yell at him in his face. He waits till he gets all the way set back down before he yells the, the profanities about getting the wife's name out of the mouth. You know, and then- <laughs> Well paraphrased. Right. And then waits, because people, there's still a segment that is laughing, that you know, there's a part of the crowd that still laughs the right. first time he does it. And then he does it again to reiterate, you know, I'm really mad. This is not a joke. And then no one goes and talks to him afterwards. Like if this happens and it's legitimate, the people in the theater, security, people involved with producing the Oscars, somebody is going and talking and possibly escorting Will Smith out. None of that happens. He's able to go and accept, accept his award 15 minutes later on what is now the most watched acceptance speech, maybe in Oscars history because of the buzz that has been created. Also though, it's going to be one of the most studied. It is a sure. five and a half minute, just yeah. like yeah. confounding. It's very, but anyway, keep yes. going. If you want to study narcissism, watch that five minute uh, acceptance speech. And then later on, he's out dancing at post-show parties. I don't think it was a well thought out plan, but I think it was a planned stunt to drive ratings and buzz. Okay. I will now, pre well presented. Yes. At, that is what we do here at the Out of the Box podcast. We will <laughs> present ideas right. and provide evidence that, yeah. to do so. Okay. So here's why I think it was very real. Will Smith has been acting. I'll actually present this in four areas because right now I don't think there's any winner here, no. which is important. The only person who could maybe win from this is Chris Rock because I really am very interested in hearing his next comedy special. Yes. Because I'm sure something will be said. It will be brought up. Although, like I said, the, the crux of the thing to start off with was a joke that was over the line. Right. Yes. I, I, I agree with that. If this was a real, an entirely real thing, it was a joke that should not have been made. Yes. There's nobody, nobody in the right here. No. The circle of wrong is it's, very big. There's a lot, yes. a lot happening. Everyone <laughs> has <laughs> stepped out of the box. Right. Okay. Everyone's off the wall. Here's why I don't think Will Smith would take that chance. He has been acting for 35 years. He has been nominated for a couple Oscars. And this year when King Richard, which is a really good movie, I'm telling the story of Richard Williams and the Williams sisters. It's, it's very entertaining. It's a good sports movie. When this came out in September at Telluride Film Festival, the, when people saw it, they were like, best actor. That's happening. This is the Will Smith year. When you've wanted something for that long and, and he, from that moment on, capital C campaigned, he went to every Q&A, he went to every press conference, every event possible, so much so that it, I listen to one movie podcast and they're like, is Will Smith campaigning too much to where people aren't going to vote for him? Will Smith wanted this really bad. Sure. So my thought is, why would he take the risk of trying to pull off this kind of stunt to clearly take away from what would have been probably a much more normal speech. If you watch any of his other speeches from any other award show, he kind of focuses in on one topic. It's more, more jovial. This speech is like you hear him go from obvious bullet points that he wanted to touch on 
to trying to connect it to the situation that just happened that frankly don't make any sense. And I was talking to a couple of people today who have more experience in certain areas of life than I do, where they said that his language sounded pretty abusive and how he was describing why what he did was for love and stuff. And that's that that kind of brought back memories of things they've heard from people. I'm not going to name names, obviously it's their sure. stories, but well, and then also, you know, the Jada Will Smith marriage and the issues that cool. have happened there is a whole totally different thing that brings so much into this as well. Uh, yes. And there's been, you know, past beef with Chris Rock. So I, but my point is, I'm not sure that Will Smith would have wanted on purpose to take away from a moment that was already going to be his going into the Oscars. Everyone knew Will Smith was going to win. And one of the most anticipated moments going in that people knew was going to happen was when Will Smith wins finally that best actor award. And, you know, I think kind of going along with the narcissism, I'm not sure that he would have planned to take away from his own spotlight like that, because right now, what are people talking about? Sure. Not him winning the award, him slapping somebody. We're actually talking about whether or not the Academy is going to strip him of the award. Right. Which that's, that's the one is thing. a very real thing. I, I will change my mind on the situation. If one, if that happens or if two, if Chris Rock presses charges, which he's already said he's not going to. Right. Which but. I actually understand a little bit more because I feel like they do have a history of being friends. If you punched me right now, I, right. I would probably want to talk with you first <laughs> before I right. said police, I'm going <laughs> to press charges. Yeah. So, sure. you know, if he does, it might come later. I, I didn't expect him to do it immediately. From a Academy standpoint, they freaked out <laughs> in 2017 when the wrong name was read for Best Picture. That did drive up you know, social media buzz, but that was pretty embarrassing sure. for the Academy. And I think I think last night is is the same boat. And also the Academy, I think right now, just doesn't really know what they want to do. I don't think they're smart enough to come up with a plan like this, honestly. And the third point is the ratings from ABC, because I know a lot of people were criticizing ABC for making a bunch of producing moves to cut a bunch of categories and the show still ran 30 minutes over. <laughs> but this, if this was a ratings grab to me, you would have probably done it earlier in the show, you know, instead of 10 minute, like the only category that went right before best actor was best director. And then they did the in memoriam, which was a disaster. How do we not include Bob Saget? Come on. So I think that they would have tried to do that earlier in the night. And they had kind of thrown out ratings grabs in general because they did, we don't talk about Bruno at like 9.15 Eastern time yeah. when all of the children had gone to bed. So I think that- Well, all Megan that, Lee Stallion is doing it, then who cares yeah, about that, the Well, that's true. Right. <laughs> Screw the children, <laughs> Michael Jordan. Uh-huh. That is all the evidence that I would put out. And I think also the other part of this, like many other situations that we talk about on the show and on Off the Wall, I don't think we're- really ever going to actually know until like for sure until the academy does something and they have said they're investigating and the LAPD which you know who knows but they they put some stuff out uh, until something is done there or until honestly like Chris Rock and Will Smith are together on Jimmy Kimmel right or something I mean who, yeah. who really knows bottom line though it was by far the strangest thing I've ever seen on live television and to go along with your point if it was staged terrible idea no what, just a terrible yeah, idea right and that's that's my, my like point. i don't understand the best case scenario there right my point is that you know you're you're making very valid arguments on why it would be absolutely dumb and and stupid to stage this but i'm just looking at it logistically on on the actual execution of the event that happened uh not only I, one thing i forgot was that after the slap happens if if i was just to all of a sudden slap you right now 
even if you didn't see it coming at all, your hands wouldn't just stay at your side. If I made as good a contact as Will Smith made, my hands would go up to my face and I would look at you in shock, but my hand would go up to my... Chris Rock never moved. My he counter just... to that would be, I don't know how I would react if I were on a stage in front of a bunch of people. But this because... is Chris Rock. He's on stage no, all no, the time. No, no, I, I hear you. I'm just, I'm like, I'm thinking... So when we did Trivia Night, I often stood with my hands behind my back or I was clutching the, look, some people- Say Patrick Murphy came up and just punched you right in the face, right? I would say, thank you, sir. (laughs) Can I have another? (laughs) Right. Like there would be some sort of reaction outside of just no selling it, which is basically what Chris Rock did. The logistics of everything makes it look like, you know, what I'm going to watch at WrestleMania this weekend. Is that this weekend? Yes. Oh, oh no. It it is a huge weekend. Oh my gosh. Yes. So (laughs) Tom, let's do it. Nope. Goodbye. I'm out. (laughs) It'll be a very short post game because it's at six o'clock both nights. Looking at how it was executed, it just, it has pro wrestling elements to it. I think so many different things should have happened if this was what Rilla Smith really wanted to do. Okay. I understand. I think we see each other's points. Yeah. It's a stupid idea. It, it, if that's, if that, if the bottom line, it was bizarre. Right. It was very confusing. Yeah. And now memeable, apparently. Yeah. Oh, oh, the memes will be. Oh, my goodness. I, and I don't think anyone in the Academy necessarily knew, knew it was going to happen. It could have just been one producer from ABC that was in on it. And, and they, and they just cut the, cut the audio. Very strange how the one initially I thought it was a bit, everybody did. It's just all the stuff that's come out after that has further solidified my thought that it was real. And also again, the speech, the speech was so strange. And Will and, Smith just now apologized to Chris Rock in that speech. He never said to Chris Rock that he apologized. See, he apologized to the Academy. I, I, I also think we're on different sides there because if I were still mad at somebody, I would apologize for the situation, not necessarily to the person. Right. But also, I it sounds but, like that there's evidence of that in fake fights or whatever. Sure. So yeah. that, I don't. I don't who know. knows? It, it's crazy. They're crazy people. Yes. Doing crazy it's, things. And Denzel was like, "I'm gonna get in the middle of that." You know, he he was trying. If I someone also, would listen to get Denzel, everybody would be happy. I did find it odd that people were trying to comfort Will Smith. Again, there's nobody right in this situation. Right. Um, there's gonna be people that are blaming Jada for this and it's I mean that's because again Will Smith was laughing until Jada's we don't we don't know what kicked she him said. under the table right. you never know we don't know what happened there she didn't do anything wrong Chris Rock said something that he shouldn't have but there's not an excuse for going up and punching no, him that yeah, absolutely not yeah because unless you're trying to set up a Wrestlemania match so that is a uh, out of the box office our Oscars review for film people, a bad night that honestly turned worse. It was pretty embarrassing. Also, the other part about the ratings thing, I don't understand how this would help because you can't duplicate it next year. No. You know, like this isn't... Well, but if there's a chance that one star is going to get up and punch another star at some point during the night... Judy Dench and Emily Blunt going at it. (laughs) It's just going to be... Dame said damn and just (laughs) threw down. Outside... Okay, so being, you know, you didn't like the show in general other than what happened with the slap, did they do anything to bring in somebody like me who's like, I don't really care about the Oscars. That was what I was talking about, the pandering. Like they tried too hard almost. Like Megan Thee Stallion on We Don't Talk About Bruno. That's right. why, what are we doing? They had Shawn Mendes there for some reason. Uh, Opening with Beyonce works because it was a, you know, it was an Oscar song that she was singing. It was her song, she wrote it. Right. Yeah, it was just it was just a strange show, and I think I think the Oscars should just double down. You know, the the people who are going to watch it because they want to watch it, 
cater to them. Don't don't cater to the children who yeah. want to see Sean Mendez because I like Sean Mendez. Literally zero reason whatsoever for him to be presenting adapted screenplay at the Oscars. Wow. Okay, are we good? Yeah, we're good. we're good. Okay, we will see what happens with this going forward. I'm. I will say this: it sure as heck ain't over. There will be yeah. more coming out about this for months. From one big swing to another, mm. it's time for SEC picks. Oh wow! Let's see what you did. Yes, I teed it up like five hours ago. <laughs> right now, Arkansas leads LSU six to three in the bottom of the sixth, and they had the bases loaded with one out. So I am mentally giving you Arkansas two one. I. LSU will have one more inning to bat and they'll be down at least three. While that is not out of the question, I'm going to go ahead and predict that Arkansas wins that series. So that means, Tom, we are tied. Wow. Eight to eight. I got four right last week. UCLA, Kentucky, Georgia, Alabama. You got UCLA, Kentucky, and now probably Arkansas. So that means I win the week, which means I go first. Oh, how about that? Honors off the tee box. (laughs) You can do a press release about it. (laughs) magnificently soaring through the wind for a sweep here we go i don't believe you've been president of the united states yet but we'll see (laughs) hey you never know (laughs) okay we're gonna do one big series outside the sec and then everything in the conference michigan at northwestern is our first series this looked a lot more interesting like a week ago but over the last seven days michigan has lost to miami of ohio and then lost twice at home to nebraska nebraska is better than they have been but you're Michigan and you shouldn't be giving up, I think, four and seven runs in the two games. I'm going to say Northwestern gets the sweep. I think that this is a team that they just find ways to win. They are not the most talented. They are not the best statistically, but they fight. They get the clutch hits and they have a good pitcher in Daniel Williams, who is actually finally looking like somebody who maybe should have been an award winner early in her career. This is the best she's looked in her entire time at Northwestern. So I've got the Wildcats getting the sweep. Michigan has been very disappointing. I still think they have good enough pitching to get one. I think they're going to get one really good pitching outing from one of their two good pitchers. I think Northwestern wins the series, but I'm going to say 2-1 instead of the sweep. Okay. Arkansas at Ole Miss. Man, Ole Miss, you you, you didn't win, need to win all three. Just win two, and I'm, and I'm, I'm golden. You know the feeling now. Uh, this happened to me. Auburn did it to me, and now yeah. Ole Miss does it to you. Two teams that we were so high on in the preseason. <laughs> it doesn't look like Mary Half is going to pitch tonight, but they're heading to the seventh, and who knows what Courtney Dyfel will do. I still have concerns about the fact that she is, if she doesn't pitch tonight, still thrown in five of six conference games. I think Ole Miss is going to get one. So I'm going to take Arkansas two out of three. I'm going to agree with you. Okay. Uh, I think Ole Miss, again, Oh, I think even more so than what Arkansas has done, I'm basing this on Ole Miss playing better than, ex- than expected. A couple of weeks ago, we probably looked at that and say Arkansas sweeps it. Yeah. Uh, but I think Ole Miss is playing good enough to win one of them, especially at home. I'm also curious if I have been fooled by Missouri's offense to think that Ole Miss's pitching staff has turned a corner because if they pitch like they have for most of the year, Arkansas could easily sweep with the way they're hitting the ball right now. Mississippi State at Tennessee. You know what? In 19, I said that Tennessee would win two out of three and they swept. I think Tennessee's going to sweep. I'm going to go Tennessee wow. with all three games. I'm going to say Tennessee wins two out of three. Okay. I think Mississippi State's good enough to beat Tennessee one, especially because you know, there's going to be a game where we probably don't see Rodgers or Edmonton. And I think that may be the game that Mississippi State's able to take. If that does happen, I think the likely results. I think yeah. you're on point there. Florida at Auburn. I'm going to say Florida wins the series two out of three. 
Auburn's pitching got a little exposed in Kentucky. Now, Florida's offense is not as explosive at their best as Kentucky's can be, but Florida's offense is better than what we have been seeing. And I think that the injury to Denver Bryant does make a difference. She was not only hitting well, but also kind of the emotional heart and soul of that team. So I'm going to take Florida two out of three, even though it's on the plains. I don't feel great about it. This feels like a kind of series that you could literally see any of the four options, a sweep by either team or a series win. I'm kind of along, along the same lines as you. I'm also going to say Florida wins two out of three. I, I think, again, depending on the severity of the injury to Bryant, I, I would be more inclined to think Florida could sweep than the other way around. Auburn's going to pitch well enough to get one because of a little bit of the, the, the still struggles of the Florida offense. Uh, but I'll go with the Gators two out of three. Okay, next up. Oh, no. A battle between the two right now in the standings, worst teams in the SEC, South Carolina at Missouri. If Missouri has issues this weekend and doesn't at least win a game, we got we got to have a conversation, like yeah. a legit come-to-Jesus conversation. Now, I am currently wrapping my ankles because I have jumped off the bandwagon so hard for Missouri. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to buy in though one more time because I think if there is a pitching staff that you can figure things out against is probably the South Carolina pitching staff. Betting ball is going to be tough the first time, but everybody else I just don't know who I have confidence in for South Carolina. We saw them all and nobody really blew me away. I'm going to take Missouri 2 out of 3. If Missouri was literally playing anybody else in the conference, I probably would have them being swept. Wow. But playing South Carolina, I think Missouri's going to win 2 out of 3. It may not be Bettenball who gets the win, though, for South Carolina. It could be Powell. I, I thought Powell pitched probably the best outside of the first five innings from, from Bettenball in game number one. I would not be shocked to see Trahan get a start at some point. Might as well. Honestly, there's no downside. Right. If it doesn't go well at the start, you have five other options. Sure. Just make a quick change. Right. But that being said, I think, I think Missouri is going to be able to get good enough to get those two wins, whether it – means that they get springboarded out of that into more things moving forward. We'll see. Uh, but I think it's more of a, a comment on South Carolina than Missouri. Mm. Kentucky at LSU. Which LSU team is going to show up? I think the good one because they're at home and we're at the front half of the SEC schedule. I'm going to take LSU two out of three. The Kentucky pitching, if they make mistakes in Tiger Park with that crowd, LSU will make them pay for it. So I I actually pre- I feel pretty good about LSU winning the series. And I think Kentucky's offense does find a way to get one because right now the LSU pitching staff is giving up a lot of runs. Yeah. Which is why I'm going to pick Kentucky to win the series two out of three. LSU plays well at home, but I think Kentucky plays well on the road. That style they play can travel. Uh, and, and I think because of all the offense that is being given up right now by the pitching staff for LSU, that's what Kentucky does. One of these games might be, you know, 13 to 10, maybe the final score. Uh, but I think Kentucky's going to win win two out of three. Finally, what a weekend it will be. Georgia at Alabama, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We, we've got all of the coverage on radio. We've got people coming into town for three TV games. Like this is getting the full red carpet treatment. Plus it's the 10 year anniversary reunion weekend. There's so much hype, Tom. Yes. That's why I'm picking Alabama two out of three. Oh, come on. Yeah, because... I think that there's going to be one day where Georgia says, let's ruin this for them. And they find a way to do it. I don't know how, because I think that the only pitcher I have belief in to quiet Alabama is Kerpix, 
but she would probably only be able to do it once. So probably the best case scenario for Georgia is winning game one. If they don't win game one, I think Alabama sweeps. But I think because Saturday is awards day, right? Isn't that the day everything's happening? I think so. And there's just going to be so much going on. I think that Georgia finds a way to squeak it out. And then that spawns a reaction from Alabama that will scare everybody else in the conference, honestly, because the next two games will get real ugly. Okay. I can see that. But at the same time, I think Alabama sweeps. I think we have seen better Georgia teams than this one come into Tuscaloosa and get swept. I think it's going to happen. I think Alabama is able to not be overwhelmed by the uh, everything going on this weekend. I think they use it to fuel themselves. Uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere all three days. And I think Alabama takes care of business once again. I mean, I'm not going to be mad about it. Just right. like last week, you're, yes. you weren't going to be mad about <laughs> Alabama sweeping South Carolina. Yeah. Also, I, I've already picked one sweep. The thought of multiple sweeps on the weekend in this conference, in this economy, I, like wow, right? That it, now I'll say this as well: if Alabama does get a sweep here and Florida Auburn goes the way we think it will, and some of these others, you know, break certain ways, Alabama is off and running. We finally would have a team that has broken away from the pack. I think you look at what happened the first couple of weeks. I think you have to factor in for Alabama the opponent, and I don't think enough people do that. Going on the road at LSU and then hosting Kentucky a really tough start to that schedule. I mean, Uh, look at what we just picked with those teams playing each other. Right. Yeah. And you got out of there at three and three. You took care of business against South Carolina. If you can do the same this weekend against Georgia, you are, you are in great shape, especially with everything else is going on, including Arkansas finishing off LSU. Okay. So we're tied. Good job, Tom. I did it. I would have been, that would have been my largest lead ever. (laughs) Go on. That would have been very impressive. Okay. Those are picks. Off the wall, Tom. Now, I just want to make a recommendation. The Alabama softball page is public. You can go look at it. Mm-hmm. Mark Hemphill on the recap of the series, right, of Game 3? Game 3 is final, yeah. Posts just an epic monologue that goes in the opposite of whatever off the wall is. And he calls some names out that, I'm going to be honest, are on this document that I've been tracking. And not just from this year, multiple seasons. Yes. And I can't do what he did but I'm glad that he did it. Right. Highly recommend. Yes. Go check out Mark Campbell. There is one comment though. I have to, I have to mention, please. After game one where Alabama beats South Carolina, they win Tom. Right. Breaking my rule of, we can't complain when Alabama wins. Great win, but out hit again, need to get those bats going. Who cares? Who cares about the number of hits? There was one hit that mattered. And it was KJ Haney's grand slam that scored four runs, but it only counted as one hit. Right. That is how scoring works. The runs matter so much more. So because, because two of the four of the three people on base got on base because of walks, should those runs not count? That's I guess what DR thinks wins and losses are determined by the amount of runs. <laughs> yes. And you can have 20 hits and score five runs it's rare but alabama in game three had 13 hits and just six runs i mean yes you know it was a healthy margin he never felt threatened but a high amount of hits don't necessarily mean you're going to score more runs and a low amount of hits don't necessarily mean you're not going to score at all and i'm tired of talking about this it's, it's rather simple it's a simple subject i've seen uh this was after the uh, uab game um the comment of quote unquote another cream puff win for the crimson tide i'd like to point out Alabama currently right now 
has the number one strength of schedule in the entire country. That means they have played the toughest overall schedule of anybody. That is also including conference play. Look at, look at that. Look at that one, Tom. Wow. Non-conference strength of schedule. Number one. So that means Alabama is not playing a quote unquote bunch of cream puffs. Are there some lower rated teams on this schedule? Yeah, there are. There are a few, but Alabama more than makes up for them with the non-conference games against Texas, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Oregon State, and then, of course, the conference games as well. They didn't didn't even bring up Arizona and Louisiana, who both were highly ranked at the time. They've fallen off, but, you know, you didn't know that was going to happen when you made that schedule. There are not cream puff victories, and any win is a good win. I'll take any win. It's as though no, no win is good enough, and every loss is the worst. Yeah. That's a ridiculous mentality to have. And it's not helpful. I agree. It's and very off the wall. Just because some of these wins aren't against like traditional powers, and we've talked about that too, doesn't mean it's a bad win. Also, UAB, I don't even know why you're commenting that after that game. There's 61 in the RPI. Right. If you want to throw it out there, do it, you know, against Nichols or something. But yeah. UAB is a top 100 RPI team. That will be something that helps Alabama resume wise. I just, again, I've, I've, we've talked about it before. I just don't understand the mindset of I'm a quote unquote fan of this team, but I want to degrade them whenever I get the opportunity. I've got one more. Somebody, I don't even know what they were doing. They were complaining, I guess, about a claim that Jenna Johnson changes her number often on Facebook. And I answered and I was like, Jenna has been number 88 all year long. Yeah. They were saying she'd been switching back and forth between 18 and 88. There, she was 18 last year and the year before that. She's 88 this year and has been. For every game, we have video evidence, we have photo evidence, we also have Jenna evidence. Right. We can ask her tomorrow. <laughs> and so I said, no, she's been 88. And this person said, you should watch more games. That's what I should do with my time. Watch more Alabama softball. Right. Just ridiculous. Please, I don't even, you don't even have to know who I am or who either of us are. We're not that big a deal. But if you click the name, you will see a picture of us in Hawaii with Alabama softball and of me calling softball with a former Alabama softball picture as my profile picture. Right. So it's not hard, but also, yes, I've watched Alabama softball. Right. I've watched too much of it probably. (laughs) Finally, Tom, Tom's hungry. It was a great weekend for breakfast. Yes. Very strange. Which is one we haven't, we haven't done as much of, I think a possible podium spot reserved for the Cinnabon. This is your segment, partner. Go ahead. Cinnamon buns, the Divine Street Cinnamon Deli, just tremendous. And that's the one we made the video about. Uh, not able to eat at the actual place. They're still doing just takeout. So we went and got it, went and ate it back at the hotel. I got a, it was a bagel breakfast sandwich that had ham, egg, cheese, and like a honey mustard type sauce on it, which was just outstanding to go along with also a Banana Foster's cinnamon bun that I ate on for like two days afterwards. Uh, it was it was outstanding. And, and like I said, it's in the conversation to get on the podium right now. Very interesting. I, mean, I had the original cinnamon roll, which honestly, I loved. I wish we'd been able to eat it straight out of the oven. We had to wait probably like, what, five, 10 minutes? Yeah. You know, and that probably didn't make a huge difference, but I would be curious as to how it would taste. Might be fresh. Might lose just a little bit. Yeah. But right. My breakfast sandwich was my favorite part. There was the egg scrambled. There was the cheese cheddar. There was the sausage patted <laughs> on a plain bagel 
which is what I love. But as I say about pretty much everything I eat, the sauce can make the difference. And there was some kind of sauce in there, right. along with an extra side sauce that I had ordered that just kicked it into high gear. It was incredible. If you're in Columbia, go by the uh, Divine Street uh, Cinnamon Deli. Uh, cinnamon bun deli it's, it's it's outstanding we went to an old old style old chicago uh pizza which was you know good pizza no, yep. nothing nothing wrong with that real good good uh, place to sit and edit gopro videos right. <laughs> jack brown's jack brown's yes i've never had that before i, I thought I thought that was really we good. can go let's yeah now well uh we just played at uab okay right. <laughs> next time we're in birmingham but it is tom's hungry eligible because we don't have it in tuscaloosa right so it is a chain but it's not one not a major chain so uh, I thought that was really good. Uh, and then we had breakfast again the last night. And this is one where we just kind of fired up the Google machine and, and tried to find some place. And it was a, this place, it, it's like, is in a house, basically. It looks like a bookstore. Yeah. It looks like it was a bookstore. It, it, it might have been. Yeah. And it was it just- might still be. I don't know yeah, what's on yeah, top. That's true. That was College Grounds Cafe. College Grounds Cafe in Columbia. And it was literally, uh, you walk in and it's the- the girl at the register and one person cooking and and they're just they're making stuff to order and i got a, a bacon egg and cheese biscuit there and the biscuit there was a lot of biscuit that that was a hefty lot, hefty amount of biscuit i know your favorite thing was the drink oh the london fog mm. which apparently is a thing i'd never heard of it i have recently dug into the coffee drinking and i used to only drink tea but i saw this on the menu and i was like that looks interesting it was an earl grey tea with cream and vanilla I tasted it and I looked at you and said, this is unbelievable. And I wanted to order another one, but we didn't have time. Yeah. It was so good. One of the best morning beverages out that was non-alcoholic that I have ever tasted. Hmm. Really incredible. The breakfast sandwich I had, not quite to the level of Divine Cinnamon Roll Deli, but also quite good. Just the fact that we were, that we kind of found that one uh, and it wasn't incredibly busy either. So, you know, and that's the one thing you're worried about trying to get somewhere in and out quickly on a Sunday morning before right. a game. Uh, it was a good weekend though. But I enjoyed, yeah, I, I enjoyed the time in Columbia. And again, thank you to Coach Smith for the recommendations. What a diverse episode of topics. Yes, we talked about everything, even a little softball. Even there. a little softball. Yes. Thank you to everybody who's going to come and attend the games at Rhodes this weekend. If you just decide not to show up this weekend, I might come after you. Yeah. I might come knock on your door and ask why. Why? Because again, you will have fun if you come to a game. I promise. And every single game this weekend, there's like something planned. Yes. And hopefully, you know, as we said, the national championship team from 2012 is going to be here. Almost everybody is coming back. So I'm really looking forward to that. And hopefully a few of them may stop by the, may stop by the booth. Ah, I was yeah. about to say the same thing yeah. because... We do have a lot planned for us as well on mm -hmm. all three games of the radio broadcast. And Tom, where can the people listen if they want to catch some in-game action with some friends? Well, you can uh, listen in, on, in. If you're in Tuscaloosa, you can listen on 97.5 FM over the air, also at nick975.com, the MeTV975 app. And also this weekend for the first time on the Varsity app. Ah, great. I have to put out a bunch of tweets now, don't I? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Oh, the Varsity app. So that's going to be fun. The, the world will hear. All of this information will also be tweeted from our accounts, Tom. I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Thomas. T. Canterbury, R-T-R. Boom. As unbiased as a biased man can be, Indeed. as you always say. Exactly. And, of course, at Outofbox underscore pod and, on the Twitter. And this weekend, my WrestleMania thoughts will also be probably true. True. 
We're not on the road, so I probably won't be there with That's you. That's okay. It's understandable. But I'm gonna I'm let you. I'm gonna let you do your thing. I'm gonna let you do your thing. You gonna let me finish, Taylor Swift? I will be able to tell based on your facial expression if Will Smith and Chris Rock <laughs> right. showed up. If they, when will, you walk in, I will know. I will text you and say, "Turn on Peacock right now." That's it for this episode of the Out of the Box Podcast. Thank you to Madison Shipman for coming by. Again, if you're coming to the games this weekend, be loud. And if you have tickets but can't come, please make sure they're in the hands of folks who can attend. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will see you next time on Out of the Box.